welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, your weekly glimpse into the life of indie author Paul Teague. Find out how many words got written over the past seven days, hear what's on the planning board, and discover the tips and tools which Paul is using to self-publish his books and get them selling as fast as possible. This is Paul's Podcast Diary, and here's your show host, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, episode 182, for Saturday the 4th of January 2020. Coming up this week, in my first diary of the new decade, I'll update you on my past two weeks of writing and editing, and I'll let you know what my writing plans are for the year, and potentially years ahead. It's almost time to launch the final new book in my rapid release sequence, but don't worry, there's still another sci-fi book just around the corner. And I've news of a big change and a big target for 2020, as well as confirmation about the future direction of this podcast in the year ahead. So a very happy new year to you. It's extremely exciting to be starting a brand new decade, 2020. Doesn't that all feel neat and tidy? And I've been doing lots of planning, lots of setting of objectives and targets and lots of thinking ahead. And I think you're going to find this episode pretty interesting because not only am I going to bring you up to date, I'm going to kind of pick up where we left off at the end of the rapid release and let you know what's coming up in the year ahead, but also what my writing plans are. Now we've gone through that rapid release process. We've had a little time to lick our wounds and it's time to move onwards and upwards. And I know where I'm going now. So I'll be really revealing all of that to you in this episode. Now, this is an extended episode, so you've got two diary updates coming. Those two diary updates will bring you bang up to date with the week-to-week stuff that I do. Uh, And there's been lots of it, by the way, even though we've been celebrating Christmas and New Year. And then in quite a detailed section today, I'm going to run through my quarter one 2020 goals, but also I've got some other goal periods that I want to release with you today. So as well as quarter one 2020, I want to let you know how I see things going in the months and the years ahead. And obviously the years ahead are just mild mildly sketch plans you know they're just an outline um but i'm going to reveal a big change that's coming up this year very big target i've got for this year and of course the future direction of this podcast so if you felt like you were missing lots of teague news since this podcast has been on a semi-hiatus well don't worry we'll be more than making up for it in today's episode so let's get cracking let's move on straight away to my first diary from christmas week Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary Update 5 for the week ending Saturday the 28th of December 2019. Coming up today, Truth Be Told is coming into land. The last part of my thriller trilogy has to be submitted by next Thursday and I have a record number of pre-orders to report. I've got some bookbub news for you having submitted The Secret Bunker for a promo over Christmas week and I'm gearing up for 2020 already with lots of useful bits and pieces getting sorted out this week. So I'm recording this after Christmas. It's the Friday when my wife's back to work. I I walked my mum up to the train and saw her off back to Lincolnshire today. It feels like Christmas is over. I'm really pleased, actually. It would be too soon for me. I'm looking forward to the new year coming and just having another little break and another little sort of seasonal rest and a bit of jollification. So I have enjoyed Christmas. It's been very pleasant since I recorded last. I drove down to Lincolnshire, spent a couple of days seeing my mum and my sister and brother-in-law, 
and um, you know having some fun there, going out for food, doing fun things. Drove my mum back uh, here. Mum's been here for a couple of days over Christmas, and as I say, she went on the train today and she's back home, so it's back to work today. Uh, my wife was back to work also first thing this morning, but of course next week we've got a couple of days off around the New Year, so I'm really looking forward to that as well. The festivities continue. I hope you had a brilliant break. I have to say though, it's been quite nice being back at my desk and, and doing some proper editing work today, and I'll talk you through that. Let's start with that editing work, because I as you probably recall, have got Truth Be Told, which has to be out and submitted. The final version has to be submitted on Thursday, the 2nd of January. Now, when I was discussing mum coming up for Christmas, I knew it was going to be tight because I didn't want to be working on edits while my mum was here. I didn't want to be doing anything sustained in any way. I mean, while my mum's been here, uh, she's got into a Jojo Boys book. It's uh, interesting. Like, I bought, um, is it Me After You, the first one? I bought it from a charity shop the other day when I was in Lincolnshire and said to my mum, I reckon you might enjoy this. And my mum got completely engrossed. So while my mum's been locked away reading uh, Me After You or whichever one is the first book in the series, uh, I've been sort of nipping in and out and getting some small jobs done in my study. But I didn't want to do anything as sustained and antisocial as editing. So I got the truth be told back from, from Julie. I think it was the day, I think it was while I was traveling back actually from, from over to Lincolnshire. And um, I, I knew I wasn't going to start work on it until today. Um, so it was the first thing I did as soon as I got home from seeing mum off on the train. I knew I'd got to be cracking on with this. So I started editing it today and I edited from the prologue through to chapter seven. So I did eight chapters today. Um, now I know that my time is very squeezed with this, but um, I, I should get it done. The thing is, I've got nothing else on. My only thing each day for the next six or seven days, however, however many days it is, uh, is to edit Walk and Bay uh, 3. So, you know, I know I'll get it done. It's probably about a couple of hours work a day, to be honest with you, to work through those sections and to get it right and to spell check. And I've also, incidentally, my wife has been through it. So what I'm doing first is I'm going through my wife's comments first, which he left on a Google Drive document. Then I'm working through it. So I'm adding those into Julie's document. Then I'm going through Julie's comments and suggestions. And interestingly, my wife obviously picks up some of the things that Julie's left for me as well, the things that I've missed and need to make a decision on. I have to say, um, working through those first eight sections today, Julie Cordner deserves danger money for working with me. I mean, honestly, I, I've told you before, I'm terrible with names. And I've even introduced this system with names where I have a column for first names alphabetically ordered, a column for second names alphabetically ordered. But um, sometimes, you know, you still get things like I told you earlier, we have Eddie and Freddie, things that you miss because I might write it down as Edward and then think, well, actually, people wouldn't call him Edward, they'd call him Eddie. And then before you know it, you've got an Eddie and a Freddie. And then what was the other one? There was another one that I did too. It was... Um, I changed the name to Harvey. So it was Harry and Barry. I had a Harry and a Barry as well in there. So, you know, you could you could step into these problems uh, very, very easily. The, the other thing that often happens is that if I do a find and replace on a name, sometimes it can mess things up. And sometimes if, I, if I'm just writing and I just need a, a, a named person who's just going to come and go in a book, you just think of a name off the hoof and sometimes you can make messes there as well even though I try not to so um, things that I've spotted already in the first eight chapters is I had somebody called Thomas Thomas <laughs> so that was very clever I don't know how I did that I haven't got a clue how I did that because that isn't even the name in my notes so anyhow somehow I've got a Thomas Thomas um, we also had a character uh, from 
my book called Two Years After, uh, Rosie, Rosie made an appearance in Truth Be Told, and Rosie doesn't feature in this book. So Rosie just popped out of nowhere. And we also had in, in one chapter, I think it was chapter eight today, two different spellings of the same name within one chapter. So the lady's name is Abby. Uh, I can't even remember which one I've spelt it as in the book. Uh, you'd think I'd know by three books, wouldn't you? But I think one of them is A-B-I. I think that's probably the one I've gone for. And I think also I had an A-B-B-Y today. So, um, yeah, you need danger money for working with me. Apologies for that, Julie. <laughs> we'll wait and see what, which other corkers are lurking in there as I work through that text. But as I say, you know, I enjoy Christmas, but it is quite good. I've always known that I need to be getting on with this edit. So I'm going to be doing it on Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then it has to be submitted by close of play on Thursday. So what I do on Thursday, having worked through the chapters, is I just do a last spelling check. I do a last grammar check. I put it into vellum, and then I obviously have to submit it to Amazon. And so long as that's done by close of play on Thursday, that gives me the four clear days and it's ready to be released on Monday the 6th of January. So I'm pretty confident it'll all be there, even though I have left it right until the end. Now, uh, interestingly, um, if you recall, Helen Fazal has also edited Friends Who Lie. And I did hope that while I was in Benidorm, I'd get to Friends Who Lie, but I didn't. I was enjoying the sun too much. And I got myself a nice little psychological thriller from a lovely secondhand bookshop uh, that's in the market in Benidorm, in Benidorm's main uh, market. So loads of brilliant thrillers in there. It's great. You could really supply yourself for the year. Anyhow, I, I got a book and got engrossed in that. And I, I didn't do Friend Too Lie. Be honest with, to be honest with you, I just fancied having a nice break. So I know that I need to get Helen's edition of, of or edit of Friend Too Lie done. So what I'm planning to do is as soon as I have finished um, and, and got submitted Morecambe Bay 3, truth be told, I'm going to move on to Friends Who Lie, and then I'm going to move on to something else, which I'll tell you about in a couple of moments. So it, it's all getting complicated again, as you can sense, and I've got a head of steam on. So, um, But I need to get Friends Who Lie out of the way because um, I've paid Helen for that. But Helen always says, I'll, I'll give it a last run through just to make sure I haven't missed anything. Uh, so um, I want to get that to Helen so she can sort of sign it off and forget all about it. So uh, Friends Who Light is coming back, uh, is, is coming after. Now, again, all, all that is, is it's an edited copy with just Helen's final corrections and exactly what I'm doing with Julie's book right now. So it won't take forever, but I have budgeted quite a few nights to, to go through it because um, I haven't read that book for some time. I've got to get my head into the zone. The other thing I, I want to read, I'm reading a book called The Perfect Girlfriend at the moment by Karen Hamilton. It's just a bog standard psychological thriller. And I, I, I've bought a load of psychological thrillers from secondhand bookshops recently because I, I'm very poor at reading fiction. I need to get more fiction read, but I, I specifically want to read the kind of books that I want to write. So all of these are best selling books of the type that I would like to write. So I, I do need to be reading more of these to get into the zone. I, I, I got to tell you now, you know, I, I would never, I'm not going to put down books that are best selling because they're best selling and that's exactly what I want. And, you know, they've got all the accolades and all of that. But I've got to tell you that when I'm, when I'm reading a lot of these books, I find the, the premise or the twist not very convincing. I think I told you about one, was it The Woman in Cabin 10, something like that, where effectively it was a bit like a Scooby-Doo plot. You know, somebody, somebody was putting on a, 
um, a sort of headscarf and, and sunglasses, and it was and that was their disguise. And they were disguised as somebody who was supposed to be dead. And I thought that that's Scooby Doo. I mean, you could almost have Fred or Shaggy, you know, walking up to them, ripping the mask off, and saying, you know, and them saying, if it wasn't for the pesky kids, and and again. This one I'm reading at the moment. You know, they're good books. I'm perfectly engaged with them. I'm thoroughly enjoying reading them. Um, but the premises aren't that strong. It's a bit like, I don't really think that would happen in real life. Um, you know, they're, they're a little bit far-fetched. And I remember thinking this when I was reading Girl on the Train. We read that a couple of years ago. My mum bought it and I picked it up and, and read it. And I can remember reading Girl on the Train, not really quite sure who the narrator was and whether it was actually the narrator was one person or two people. And I remember at the end, was it uh, a plot spoiler? I mean, you know, you should have seen the film or read the book by now if you were going to. But doesn't somebody get stabbed with a corkscrew or something at the end of it? You know, it, it, it's it's a better murder weapon for a bottle of Liebframilch, that. Not, not really a person. You might pierce them, but it'd be quite hard to kill someone or, or really maim them with a... Uh, well, certainly the kind of corkscrews that we've got in our house. So... You know, some, sometimes I do find the premises, I, I take a lot of effort on mine, you know, to make them as realistic as possible and, and not far-fetched and things that could really happen. I take a lot of time, you know, thinking over, would there be cameras here? You know, would they leave DNA? How would this be tracked? Why wouldn't they tell the police? Why wouldn't they pick up their phone and just call the police? You know, what? so I, I try and think all those through all those things quite a lot. But what, what I've discovered is, and, and I say, don't let me detract from the fact that these are bestsellers and that's exactly what I want. If that's what you have to do to get a bestseller, I will do it. And also that when you read the books, you know, I'm engrossed, I'm thoroughly enjoying them. So, you know, that's, let's not forget all of that stuff. Um, but it, it does, you know, just make me think that some of them are, are a little bit sort of far-fetched sometimes, uh, not really rooted in, in realism and that maybe I might be able to, you know, just stretch the, stretch the premise a little bit more than I do but I do take a lot of effort to try and make sure it is something that could happen um you know in in, in real life pretty realistically but anyhow this is why we need to read books in our genre so we get a feel for what's acceptable within the genre what sort of things that people do um and of course you know my aim of reading these books is I, I want to write one like that <laughs> you know and I don't don't really care how we get there I want to write a book like that that sells as well as that so what else are we up to? Oh, yes. What I want to read after The Perfect Girlfriend is I want to get to Insurgents, which is the military sci-fi book that I ordered. Well, I, we've just released on, was it December the 14th, the military sci-fi series that I've written. And I'm dying to read that because I just want to see what changes John and James made to that book in the end. I just really want to see how it's come out. Um, and we've got some great... Um, reviews on it we've had a couple of early reviews but this one really i was really pleased to see this review i'll read it to you word for word and right bearing in mind i'm just like a weedy guy who uh you know would run a mile from an alien invasion just just establish that straight away so here's here's the review it's a review from a real royal marine on on my science fiction book incursion so here's the review. As a former, it's a five-star review, by the way. As a former Royal Marine, I'm glad there are books featuring the Royal Marines. Royal Marines are the roughest, toughest fighting men in the world. And I should know, of course. Incursion was fantastic from start to finish, and hopefully the rest of the series will be the same. Um, read it in two sittings. Once a Royal Marine, always a Royal Marine. Now, you know, that, that that's a great review, and it was a five-star review. And I can't tell you how happy I am 
that a real Royal Marine should be reading my story about Royal Marines in space and say that that sounds authentic. You know, there's nothing in there. Now, this is this is a lot of the value. I get a lot of this value from John and James, all right, because I know nothing about Royal Marines. John and James know all this kind of military stuff. And all I want to write is, you know, tough guys, tough guys and gals, uh, shooting aliens and having fun in space. And so this is why I'm dying to read the paperback now, because I know that what John and James would have done is, is sort of taken my 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 marines and turn them into proper marines and i just want to see how they've done that and obviously i'll be underlining things in the book and making notes ready for the next series if we move on to that next series because um you know they've they've kind of snapped their universe to my book i'm just dying to see what they did as i flick through the the book i can see that the plot's unchanged but i'm pretty sure that in the way that uh, you know, Adam had a very light touch with the thriller, pretty sure John and James are going to have to really, you know, have put their mark all over this book. So it'll be a real joint edit because I just simply, I can't retain that stuff. You know, it's kind of, you know, it's really important to get it right with the books, but I'm there to do the super zapping guns and the big spaceship excitement and, you know, leaping through um, Stargate kind of contraptions and, and, and things like that and to have a really exciting storyline. And I can write the tough guy stuff, but I, what I, what I have trouble focusing on is the detail, you know, the kind of the, the, the military background and protocols and things like that. And again, you know, when we're talking about collaborations, this, this is where I get the value, of course, um, in collaborating with John and James, because that is something that fascinates and interests them. And that's, they, that's where they've put their mark really on this book. So I let you know when I've read it. I let you know about the changes. Incidentally, I recorded my interview with John last week and that is going to be running. Well, actually you'd have, you'd have heard it bizarrely because we're all out of sequence here. You will have heard John Evans's interview with me by the time you listen to this. But in real time, as I'm re- recording my diary here, I recorded it uh, before I went to Lincolnshire uh, to see my mum. So that kind of brought us all up to date with the military sci-fi books. And again, at the time you listen to this, we will have released book two, Armada. So the timescales are all over the place at the moment, but hopefully it kind of all makes sense, sort of. Um, so uh, let's go back to the thrillers again now. I, sh- I probably should have themed these by thrillers and sci-fi. And something that I did decide to do is in doing the rapid release, it was so fast and my I couldn't focus on it. I was writing books and doing lots. There's a couple of books in there that I would still like to get proper reviews on them. So they, they sold some books. They're still selling some books. But what I failed to do is, is get reviews. They're not getting reviewed, really. So they are selling, but they're not getting reviewed. Now, don't ask me why that is, but that is just kind of an occupational hazard, isn't it? Um, so it's pretty well the standalones so many lies is a standalone and I, and that's a good book and i'd like to get some reviews on that and and i even sent an email out to my list the other day and said i know that a lot of people had, had reviewed it in the early stages and said how much they liked it and i've been trying to encourage some of those people to write their reviews too but so far so many lies um hasn't had any reviews on it even though it's shifting a lot of copies so i don't know why that is uh, but it hasn't got reviews um, two years after as well has it's got um it had one review somebody who really hated it and then a couple of five stars on it but again two years after didn't hasn't got a lot of reviews on it same with no more secrets and friends who lie uh, same same with that so the the standalones i would like to get some reviews on and having done the blog tour 
with Sarah Hardy and seen what a strong position that put Left for Dead in, my kind of conclusion from all of this, as I told you in my summary of Rapid Release, is that actually I think it's cleverer to do Rapid Release at 28-day monthly intervals. And what I'd recommend to you is that you get blog tours on, on the books. And, and again, you know, a month, sort of two-month break between blog tours is probably a comfortable amount of time um, to have those blog tour breaks. I certainly wouldn't have a blog tour every week. That would be crazy. And this is another reason why I'm recommending 28 days as a rapid release cycle if you decide to go for that. So anyhow, I contacted Sarah Hardy and said, I'd like to set up a couple of blog tours next year for books that have been released already, but that that really didn't get um, a lot of reviews. I just really like to release them properly and get some beta, not beta readers, but blog reviewers over them. And those blog reviewers, as I found out now, will also review it on Amazon. It just gives a book a really good start rather than sitting there like Billy No Mates with no reviews on it. So I've set up blog tours on two years after. That's scheduled for the 2nd of March and So Many Lies on the 22nd of April. And Sarah said she's happy to have those as re-releases. And what I will do with those books is when they are out of their um, Amazon, is it Prime? No, their KDP Select period, I will unpublish them. And what I will do with those is I will republish them as I did Dead of Night. And if you remember with that, you just republish it. You don't give it a new title or anything like that. You just give it a version two book. So it looks like a new release to Amazon. Now, if I've got reviews on those books uh, by that stage and I want to keep them, then I'll keep them. But probably what I will do is ground zero them, put them through a blog tour, um, I will repolish the books based on whatever reviews I've had at that stage, um, and then effectively do a re-release on them because I want some reviews and then uh, that will help me to promote them from that point onwards so I am going to be taking down as my as my standalones come out of their KDP select period I will take them down probably unpublish them and I may even do friends who lie and no more secrets as well uh, and, and put those through later blog reviews, depending on how these first two go. But I'm specifically using blog reviews to get reviews um, and, and some impetus going um, on books which haven't got reviews on them, having found out how effective that was with Left for Dead. Now, again, I, I may get my fingers burned if they don't like the books. Um, and the other thing about two years after is I do want to have... The, um, I, I got... Uh, well, I think it was a three-star review. I don't think it was a one. It wasn't a one-star review. I don't think. I think it was a three-star review from somebody who, who clearly didn't like the book. And uh, as I've always said to you, you know, beware the articulate lower review. And and it, this was an articulate review. And so I do want to consider the points that were made in it. So one of the things, and I know um, Julie flagged this up um, when she did the edit as well. Um, and 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 I and I. I ignored it because I wanted to try something different, but I may reconsider based. It's only one review um, and, and the other two reviews loved, loved the end, but the end is a very dark ending. It doesn't give you that sort of satisfaction that an ending normally would. I specifically did that. I sort of specifically, you know, heard what Julie said about the edit, but ignored it because I wanted to try something different. I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to be predictable. So I want, you know, I want to keep pushing myself in new directions. So I wanted to try that ending. And I did explain the ending in the author notes. It was based on a, a thriller that I'd seen. It's a German film. They did an American remake on it um, that just had that horrible, unsettling feeling at the end. Now, what I might do with that book, and again, you know, when I get to editing it, I'll reconsider this and I'll reread it and have a think about it. 
But what I thought I might do is give it a, a more satisfactory ending and then leave the original ending there as a director's cut extra and encourage people to email me to tell me which one they prefer. So, um, so many lies I'm happy with. Um, I just really, I, I just, it's a 90,000 word book. I spent a lot of time on it. I got loads of great reviews from it from, from my beta reviewers. So I, I really just want to make sure that gets some decent reviews on it. Uh, because I think it's a good book. So I, I will, I will recheck it and re-edit it before it gets re-released on the 27th of April. But, um, I don't anticipate a lot of changes being made on that. I was pretty happy with that book by the time I was finished with it. So, so just to summarize all that then. You'll hit, you'll, you'll sense there that I've got a lot of edits coming up. I've got to get the edit for Truth Be Told done by next Thursday. After that, I want to get Friends Who Lie done because Helen Fazal has got that back to me and I'll give myself, should be able to do that about seven, seven to nine days. I should get Friends Who Lie out of the way. So they're only light edits, remember. Then I'm going to move from mid January to two years after. And of course, I've now got some new deadlines because I have to give I have to make two years after available to Sarah Hardy for her blog reviewers a month before the reviews are due. So I have to have two years after re-edited by the 27th of um, January. That gives a month for the book reviewers to look at it. And then that book will go on its blog tour on the 2nd of March. That's right. Those, those time scales are right. And then so after I have got two years after done, I've set myself aside several uh, weeks for So Many Lies. And then So Many Lies is due to go to Sarah. Obviously, they needed a month beforehand. So that goes to Sarah on the 23rd or thereabouts of March. And then it, it gets its blog tour on the 27th of April. So I'm already into sort of dates and deadlines, but I have left those dead time, deadlines fairly slack. They're fairly relaxed, to be honest with you. And my plan now with the standalones is to take them out of KDP Select one by one and to list them wide. And they're going to have strong promos to my trilogies. So my trilogies are the ones that I make the money on, uh, the Don't Tell Meg trilogy, and hopefully the Left for Dead trilogy, which seems to be getting reviewed and read and all right. It seems to be going down very well, that, that series, which is great. And so um, Dead of Night is fine. I'm happy with Dead of Night. It's got some good reviews in it. Um, One Last Chance is also fine. It, it's sort of not hit any snags or problems. It's got a few reviews on it. People seem to like it, uh, but I, I won't re-release that one. And um, and then what I'll do with the other standalones, and is, I, you know, I'll... I'll, I'll I'm going to list them wide so that I can broaden my audience out. But I'm going to keep the trilogies for the time being. Uh, they're going to stay as they as they are. Um, so I can sort of squeeze as much cash out of those as, as possible. So um, the other thing that I wanted to tell you is that um, I want to make sure now we've gone through all of this process, I want to have a couple of proper lead magnets available. So if you look at my websites at the moment, I've just got this rubbishy kind of ribbon at the top that just says effectively the most boring message on earth, which is sign up for author updates. And what I want to do is to have a free book available as, as a, a, pro a proper decent lead magnet. So I've decided that I'm going to 
the way I'm going to do this, and I had, this hadn't really occurred to me before, because I'd always thought, oh, I've got to give a book away for free. I don't want to do that. Well, of course, I don't have to do that. Um, what I'm going to do is Dead of Night is the book I'm going to use for my lead magnet. The reason I'm going to use it for my lead magnet is it just seems to be a really simple, accessible thriller read. People seem to like it. Um, they, it's, they, most people say, you know, I just rattle straight through it. And that's the kind of book it's meant to be. So because it's such an easily accessible book, that's going to be my thriller lead magnet. And so you'll get Dead of Night when you register via one of my author websites um, and it will be delivered via Book Funnel. But what I could also do with Dead of Night when it's listed wide is I can sell it on Amazon or all the other channels. So that makes it a better lead magnet. It will be available for sale on Amazon or all the other channels um, and it will be listed wide. But to get it free, uh, and that that makes it a much better lead magnet because it's an exclusive for subscribers. Um, you'll be you'll just be able to subscribe to my list, so that gives me a decent thriller lead magnet. And then for the sci-fi books, I'm going to use Phase Six as the lead magnet. Now that is already listed wide. It will be for sale on the other outlets. And Phase Six is the bridge book for the Grid trilogy and the Secret bunk, Bunker trilogy. So you can read Phase Six first then um, it kind of puts you bang in the heart of the universe. You can then go to the secret bunker and, 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 and the secret bunker then becomes something like a prequel. And then you can go to the grid, which is like the sequel. And then notionally, if I ever get to it, there's another three books which will involve time travel, which will link that whole universe together and conclude it. So phase six is the one to use for the lead magnet for sci-fi too. So um, they're both going to be paid. Um, you've got to pay for them if you if you, if you you get them on the, the book channels. But they will be free for subscribers. And I'll, what I will do, and again, this is just kind of on my big list of jobs that have to be done, this ever-growing list of jobs that need to be done. I'll get to it as soon as I can. It, it won't be before I get Friends Who Lie and um, Walk and Bay 3 out of the way, I can tell you that. Um, but I'll, I'll do a lovely one of these lovely flying things that has a lovely picture of the book and it looks really nice, very attractive, and start to sort of proactively, but in a much better way than I have been doing, build my mailing list through my website. So I really need to you know, to do that and get my act together with that. But again, these are kind of lists of jobs, little things I've half started and half done that I will be progressing through. I hope to get these things done by the end of January. I'll clarify all of that, of course, because these are just broad thoughts at the moment. I'll clarify specifically what's getting done in January, February and March when I come to the quarter one 2020 uh, goals preview. Now, at the moment, I'm editing, truth be told. I'm doing the last pass the last pass edit on truth be told and I said to you in the last podcast diary that I was doing pretty well I'd already hit a record number of um, pre-release sales uh, and or pre-orders as they're more commonly called uh, pre-orders so I can tell you that at the time of recording this diary my pre-orders are for me at a record level so I've got 149 pre-orders on truth be told at the moment now I think in the last I, I you know what I'm like I can't even get names of my characters right. But I think I, I might have said to you that it was, I, I, I thought at one stage, maybe I got 800 pre-orders with Adam Nichols. It wasn't 800. I think it was about 400. I may have said 800. So apologies if I did. But my personal record at the moment is for truth be told. And that's at 149. So at the time of recording this, how long have we got till it releases? Hmm, not that long. I don't think we'll make it to 200. We might make it to 175 if we're lucky. But let, let's just see how we go. But I, I, it is already a record, regardless of what that final figure is. But I will let you know what the final figure is when I actually get that book released. But I'm, I'm 
pretty happy with 149. It'd be nice to get to 200, but I don't think we'll get to 200 now. I don't think I've got enough time to get to 200 pre-sales. But it, again, it, it's nice with all of these things. You know, it's nice to just see things getting better. It's slow. It's tortuous. It's pain. It's really painful, but things are getting better. And I, you know, I feel quite pleased with that 149 pre-orders uh, with a week or so, maybe 10 days to go before the actual book is released. So that should bump up a little bit, I hope, in the meantime. I just wanted to recommend to you that um, you listen to Self-Publishing Spotlight, episode 27. Now, this is the podcast that uh, Mark Dawson kind of presides over. It's part of the self-publishing formula. But these are the shorter episodes with the 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 authors who are kind of making a living or make, making income from selling books, but they're not kind of making thousands or, or, or millions of dollars. And a former guest of this show, James P. Sumner, was on. And uh, it was a really interesting interview, and I, I would urge you to listen to it, because you've heard me saying that one of the lessons I learned from doing Rapid Release was that I do not want to be a sweatshop author. I do not want to be an author who does who writes full-time, who's working five to seven days a week, who's maybe doing seven hours of writing a day. I want to preserve the pleasure, the joy, the creativity in the writing. Now, that doesn't mean that if... Uh, a book suddenly started flying and I need to bang out some ser- you know I need to, to bang out some sequels quickly that I would not do that but what I'm saying to you is that I I don't want that to be my life a sweatshop of writing uh, because you might as well be dishing out burgers in McDonald's as far as I'm concerned I I want to smell the roses along the way I want to have recovery time between books and roughly speaking my comfortable spot is is four books a year about one book a quarter <laughs> when you hear my quarter one goals we're probably going to be writing more than that this year, but let's wait till we get to that. So um, in, in James's interview, um, when I interviewed James, he was a he was a full time author. He was sustaining himself through his books. He got um, he writes uh, about an assassin called Adrian Hell, and um, James was doing that thing that we all aspire to, which was a full time self sustaining self published author. Well, fascinating interview in that what what James reveals in self-publishing formula interview in the spotlight interview is that he doesn't enjoy the business side or the marketing side and that he's returning to a full-time job. Um, and, and it's just, it's just a completely different take on what we normally hear. And so I would urge you to listen to it because, you know, what he says is that when he was writing, when he did a day job and he was writing, he said he was writing for the pleasure of it, just the sheer pleasure and creativity of it. And now he's writing full time. It's kind of all he does and that some of the pleasure's gone. He doesn't like the marketing. So he's returning to work. I'm pretty sure he's going to continue writing, but I think he wants writing to be the secondary thing, not the primary thing. And I found it interesting because, you know, you just, you don't hear these stories. All you hear, or all you tend to hear, I think, is, you know, I wrote a book. It had 20 spelling mistakes in it. It made a million pounds by the end of the week. And now I've retired to Barbados. And, and, and I think that when you're struggling as an author, it, it could be, you know, you could give a disproportional amount of, of headspace to those interviews. And it could therefore make you feel like you're, you're failing. You're just not doing very well. And this is why I like to hear, I want to hear those stories because that's what I aspire to. I think we, we know we all aspire to it. Of course we do. But, but also, I like a, a, a good dose of gritty reality in there. Um, you know, I want to know about other paths. There are other paths. I want to hear about the people that it took longer for. I want to know about people's struggles. I want to hear about all of that. You know, so I want to get a rounded view of how this is done. 
So I do recommend that you listen to that interview if you haven't listened to it. You know, this is an example of somebody who had a day job, who has managed to sustain himself through his self-publishing for several years now, but has decided to go back to a day job and make writing the secondary thing. And it, it was interesting for me because it reflected what I said to you, is that I learned a lot of lessons doing that that rapid release sequence. And one of them was that I do not want to be a sweatshop writer. I need to enjoy this. Uh, and I've said to you, if I was 25 rather than coming up to 55, my view of that might be different. But I'm at a different stage in my life and my career, and I want to enjoy the writing. I want to have gaps between to, um, what is it, to refill the creative well, as Joanna Penn describes it. Um, and, and so I want to have a more even pace of writing. I don't want to write like I have been writing from sort of August through to December. I want more time to smell the roses. So uh, that's well worth a listen. I have some book bomb news for you. I know this is all over the place this week. Apologies for this. There was no sort of sensible way really to order it or none that I spotted. So I've just got loads of bits of news for you. I submitted The Secret Bunker 1 to BookBub. Um, it was actually due on Christmas Day. It probably got submitted on Christmas Day, actually, now I think about it. And I don't know whether you recall that six months ago, I submitted The Secret Bunker to BookBub and they accepted it. But I, I submitted it to the sci-fi section, which is where I'd like it listed. They got back to me and said, using our knowledge of our audience, we think this is more suitable for the horror section because it's a dystopian kind of end of world book. So I said, you know, that's fine. Uh, I'm happy to take your judgment on that. And when it went in horror... You know, it made its money. I had a, I had a good couple of months, as you always do with BookBub. I was happy with my income. It was pretty well, I think, the same as the grid when it was in uh, the sci-fi section. So I submitted um, The Secret Bunker 1. It's had it six months now, so I can't submit it for six months once it's had a BookBub promo. It was out on Christmas Day. It went straight in, and I got a reply within two days. Um, and I said to them, when I, when I sent that book over, I said to them, um, last time you put it in horror, but would you also consider it for sci-fi? Um, so the news is I've got another book bug promo on the secret bunker one straight through again. Isn't that amazing? So the grid one, they've knocked me back three or four times, even though that has had a book bub, but the secret bunker one straight through. So they've given it a, a promo. It's a lovely way to start the year. Uh, on the 14th of January, and that promo is going to cost me 200... I, actually, I do quite like these promos because they, they don't cost so much. It's quite nice to have a lower price. So a promo in the horror section, which gets promoted to over a million people, I think it is, on the list. So it's a pretty hefty list. Um, it, it's $244.77, and that's roughly £190 compared to it's nearly $600 for a thriller promo, which you know takes my breath away even though I know you make your money back and more, but it still takes my breath away because you have to lay that money out before you get it back. You know, I won't get that money back for three months by the, by the time it's working through Amazon. So, you know, it does take your breath away when you pay it. So um, the price was already zero on that book. I think I'd left it at zero. I hadn't realized that, but I'd left it at zero. So I've adjusted all my prices to avoid any last minute panics. And so it'll be ready for zero already for the 14th of January. So that's a great start to the year, a nice little book bub promo. Now, originally I'd said to you, if I get a book bub on my science fiction books, I was going to put that into getting a new series of covers for all of my sci-fi books, because at some point, uh, I'm going to make all my sci-fi books be part of the same series. I never, when I started them, I didn't know that was going to be the case. But as I wrote them, I did, uh, I, I linked them in my own head. So eventually you'll have 10, 10 books in that series when I write the final, if I ever get around to writing the three time travel ones at the end. Um, so I do want to get, I do want to pay for, I'll probably get all the 
the covers done at once, a series of, of, of 10 sci-fi covers. And I was going to use the book by income to pay for that, but I'm not at the moment. That, I'm going to put that on a slow burner, that project, because the books are fine with the covers they've got for the time being. They've all got good covers on. You know, I paid um, good graphic artists for all of those covers. So I'm in no rush to do that. I'm going to keep the money in, in the bank, and I'll tell you why when we get to the quarter one 2020 goals. But I had said in the past I was going to get new covers for them. I'm not at the moment. I've pivoted that plan. It is a long-term aspiration, but not a short-term one. Um, I've been telling you about the problems I've been having with my PC. And uh, I thought until this morning that I'd solved them. I, oh, what a saga this blasted PC has been. And again, I'm keeping my powder dry. I've got to try and release information in the order that it needs to come. Um, but but I'm, I'm on the verge of buying... Uh, a proper computer. If you listen attentively to these diaries, you'll know that I spent about 450, 500 quid on getting a computer. It was rubbish and I returned it. It's just slow and sluggish and I'm not working like that. So I returned it. I did have some inspiration with this piece and I've managed to get it going. Um, and, and when I stopped writing before I went to Benidorm, I, I decided to take it to a PC repair shop. Now I took it to the PC repair shop. I thought they could, because it's a uh, it's a partitions thing on the drives. I don't really understand partitions and drives, not my area of expertise. So I took it to a, one of these proper computer repair shops in town and I got a parking ticket for 60 quid when I did it. Can you, can you believe that? Um, I parked for five minutes. It was in one of these uh, consumer areas, which I've parked in many times before because I shopped there. And the shop that I normally go to, which used to be a Staples, I think it's it's another it was another stationery shop. It's closed now, so I always go there when I go there. But I didn't go in there because it was closed. So all I did was to drop the the tower off at the shop for five minutes. I came back, I got a parking ticket. So it cost me 60, 60 quid for a parking ticket to to just drop this computer off, which was infuriating. The guy must have been laying in wait for me in the car park. So uh, it was expensive there. I paid 60 odd quid to get the computer fixed, but they didn't really fix it. I mean, they kind of fixed it, but they've removed a whole swathe of the hard drive. So I've got about 50 gigs of this half hard drive. And I think it was one terabyte or something I should have on it. And I cannot using any tools that I think I've got, uh, get this storage back. So it's beyond my sort of knowledge. So it was full basically the hard drive was full and it was ridiculous so I had to do another complete restart on it I, I reinstalled it from scratch and until this morning I'd got enough um, storage on it to just keep going to just you know keep me going keep me going uh, without it creating a crisis now I've got to have a word with one of my kids because they they tend to come on it when I'm finished at night and play games and all of a sudden my final 13 gigs of storage that was quite fine for me downloading the odd word document and things on it was quite fine as an operating amount of storage for me that disappeared overnight so i'm having a word with the kids later on when they've surfaced to see who's been downloading what so i need to try and find that storage but um, it's still i've still got a storage issue on this computer and it's infuriating me now i'm not going to tell you I've, I, I might just buy a, a decent one it's taking so much of my time now I might just spend out on a decent one but I have to pace my earnings at the moment for reasons that you'll hear in my course one review so apologies that we're kind of slightly out of sync with me recording this diary and me telling you things that are going on but hopefully it just makes it like a good sort of absorbing drama you'll get the answers at the end of this podcast episode 
So um, something else that's happened is Katya Kane, who was an episode 10 guest of this podcast. I can't believe it's as long ago as that. It's nearly four years ago. Uh, Katya Kane uh, is the is, is one of the people behind this wonderful piece of software called the Novel Factory. And you'll know that I use the Novel Factory to plan my locations and to put my character profiles in. And Katya uh, got in contact with me recently and said, um, do I still want to be an affiliate for the Novel Factory? And I think I think I am, but I don't push it in any big way. I'm just quite happy to mention it because I use it. And if somebody buys the Novel Factory through a link, that's fine. Um, but Katya said, um, are you using the des- the um, cloud version yet? And, and the answer is no, I haven't made the switch to the cloud version. Now, again, for reasons that will be made clear when I get to my 2020 goals, I need to very proactively try and move my business into the cloud over this year. So Katya's, um, Katya's communication with me was very well timed. And basically, she's very kindly let me have for free access to the cloud version of the Novel Factory. It's probably because I, I mention them every five minutes on, on the podcast and I'm such a, a big fan. And it's, it's just one of those products I can quite happily evangelize about uh, because I love it and I use it all the time. So um, I, I took Katya up on her offer. And I am going to use the Novel Factory in the cloud now and really try and push myself to move to the cloud version um, because I need to do it strategically for this year. But again, sorry to keep teasing you with these things. You'll hear why I need to move to the cloud version in my 2020 goal section, which is coming up later in this episode. I listened. I I, I know I keep going on about this, but the whole point of this podcast is to share hopefully useful and great information with you six figure authors podcast what a podcast that is that that has gone from zero to a million miles per hour in just a couple of months it's such a good podcast i can remember john cronshaw saying to me all you need to listen to was it the science fiction and fantasy podcast and it was a was an episode on amazon ad something like that and i listened to it and i thought this is brilliant marketing material and i i went through uh you know on john's recommendation i went through a load of back catalogue episodes but I went through the marketing ones I wasn't really interested in the sci-fi fantasy bit I was interested in the marketing ones and when they closed the podcast in the summer I was disappointed because I'd I'd become hooked on it and when it relaunched they effectively got rid of the sci-fi and fantasy and they're just doing the brilliant marketing stuff that they were doing before and honestly there is no podcast I'm aware of that is doing as as good a job as of this marketing information is such a good podcast it's brilliant and uh, in episode 17 which is what i've just been listening to recently they did an episode with the book funnel creator and um, i was listening to this thinking you know with book funnel i i first got it free i used to prefer what was insta freebie which is now prolific works then i thought that book funnel was better than prolific works and at the moment it still is at the last time of checking and I used BookFunnel. And then as an economy measure, I went back to the free service, quickly regretted it and realized that really BookFunnel is one of those things you need to just pay for and get over it. And But I haven't really been doing very much with it other than delivering uh, beta copies while I've been doing this rapid release. It's very good for that, of course. Um, and I think I did a, before I did the rapid release, I used BookFunnel to do a list building promo, but I haven't really used it very much. And listening to this interview has just made me realize, number one, that I need to pay for the top level. And number two, I'm missing loads of opportunities with BookFunnel. So please listen to episode 17 of Six Figure Authors podcast. But these are some of just the the bits and pieces I got from it that I didn't know. I didn't know that you can now deliver MP3 files via uh, BookFunnel. Now, you could do those MP3 files up to 120 minutes, but that's very interesting for me when I 
do something that I'm going to talk to you about when I come to non-fiction in the new year. Um, I'll tell you more in my, my sort of goal section, but it's going to be very useful for me in the new year. But it's a great way of delivering audio files or exclusive audio files. So, for instance, you know, I could I could maybe, um, you know, get my best selling trilogy, which is the Don't Tell Meg trilogy. And I could say, if you want to hear the author being interviewed about this book, then download the audio and, and use audio and audio interview to get um, you know, people's name and subscription details rather than a free book. So I didn't even know they did that. That's very, very interesting. The other thing I knew they did, but I hadn't really quite got my head around how it worked, was these print codes. And the chap, I'm sorry, I've forgotten the name of the guy who created BookFunnel. Um, but he was talking about how to use print codes and how to put these print codes on calling cards or bookmarks and, you know, promotional materials. And again, I, I hadn't really quite, I kind of, quite I half got the idea but I hadn't really thought about practical uses but that inspired me to give those a go as well I, I knew that book funnel integrated with cells and pay hip because I, I before I did rapid release if you remember I'd box setted seven of my thrillers and seven of my sci-fi books and I'd been selling them directly and it'd be going very well and then I took them off when I went into KDP select what I didn't realize is that book funnel integrates with WooCommerce now WooCommerce is my is my preferred and chosen way of selling directly through WordPress. And I didn't realize it integrated with WooCommerce. So that's very interesting. So I'm going to be investigating that too. It means you can sell entirely directly on your own website without even going to a third-party site like Sales and Payhip. So I'm going to be investigating that. Again, I hadn't quite realized the potential of book bundle pages. I just, I don't know, I hadn't really, you know, when somebody who knows what they're doing sells it to you and says this is what they're for and this is how authors are using them who are being successful, I hadn't thought about that and thought I need to have some book bundle pages. What am I doing? I need to get some of these sorted. Also, um, book bundle links with Patreon. Now, I've abandoned Patreon. Um, I've only sort of abandoned it temporarily. I, I don't think I'll use Patreon again. I, I'm, I'm sort of... I don't know about you, but I've got Patreon fatigue. I'm so fed up with hearing podcast hosts say support me on Patreon. I almost feel like um, it's becoming like lift music, uh, you know, music. In that, in that it's just glossing over us. You know, everybody's asking for Patreon support. And, and I kind of feel like I want to deliver a different message or I, I need to have a different proposition. So I had a little skirmish with Patreon. But I, I was just sick of, sick of hearing about it. I don't know about you, but I'm just sick of hearing about it. So... I just, yeah, I want to see if there's an alternative to Patreon or a different way of doing it, maybe. But if you're using Patreon, then did you know you could link it with your levels to deliver books within Patreon? I didn't know that. Very, very interesting. You could also pull together box sets as bundles. And, and basically what he was saying, and I'd have to experiment with this, he was basically saying that normally when you make a box set, you would you would make a great big file that had all say you know if it was a trilogy all three books in there he was basically i think suggesting that in, in a bundle you could kind of deliver it as a you know sell it as a box set but each of the files is delivered separately through book funnel rather than creating a big file so that was interesting too again something else to look and the other thing of course i i know that you could do these things but you know, you're so distracted. There's so many things to do. I haven't done this, but he was talking about the importance of placing the Facebook pixel on your pages and then retargeting. And as he was talking about that, I was thinking, oh, Paul, you know, you're missing all these opportunities because it, it makes a lot of sense that if you send people in a, in a book promo, 
with your Facebook pixel on, it makes all the sense in the world having got all that traffic to then retarget them on Facebook and say, you know, if you enjoyed my free book, why don't you try this one? And I'm just sort of thinking, oh, you know, oh, if, if there was more time, if there's only more time, there's all these core things or cool things that you could be doing. So got to recommend that to you. You know, you might just think it's book funnel, but it, that focus interview just made me think, wow, what an opportunity with book funnel. So I know that as, as I move into nonfiction, you'll hear more about that later in, in this episode when we get to goals. Um, I am going to be upgrading to the three author name version of book funnel and kind of committing to book funnel big time and doing it properly. But again, this is going to be one of the many jobs that goes on my list as I look at my marketing and improving my marketing over 2020. So it's it's uh, Six Figure Authors Podcast, episode 17. I've put the link on the show notes, by the way. I've discovered another couple of podcasts over the week. Um, I can't remember how I found this. I probably mentioned heard it mentioned on, uh, is it Writer's Well podcast, which I enjoy. Um, but Jay Thorne has got another podcast called New Writers Inc. And effectively, as a, an indie author, he decided that he got a book that he wanted to put through agents and he submitted it through agents and he's got no replies, no, no input. And so what he's now done is he's teamed up with a traditionally published or a hybrid author, a very popular author, a very successful author called J.D. Barker. And J.D. Barker, it's been really interesting. J.D. Barker said, you know, that book is not ready for submitting. And he's working with Jay Thorne to get a book ready for traditional publications. It's a very, very interesting process. Now, you would think somebody uh, like Jay Thorne, who's had, you know, a, a good success as an indie author, you'd think, oh, you, you just write a book and they'd bite your hand off. But it hasn't been the case. And it's been very interesting for me to hear that, you know, Jay Thorne has been told that he's that there are instances of head hopping and info dumping and you know, all the things that I know I, I'm guilty of and we're probably all guilty of and try not to do. And it's just been very interesting. So, I highly recommend you give that a listen, New Writers Inc. And that podcast led me on to trying out the Career Author Podcast, which is another Jay Thorne podcast, which is over episode 100. And uh, I'm also enjoying that now. So I put that into my feed. What I've tended to do with that, when when they have a lot of back catalogue, what I tend to do is I go through all the back catalogue and I download the episodes that are of most interest to me. And if I'm still interested in the podcast and enjoying it after that, then I might work through the entire back catalogue but um yeah really enjoying the career author podcast which you probably all know about uh it's just not one that's been on my radar recently i did one of these things i do occasionally i think it was joanna penn had posted a her kobo map saying that she sells in 100 and whatever it is countries around the world and i i know um i love the little kobo map so i thought i must check how many countries i sell in because i'd heard her say that and i thought have i do i sell in more countries than her I don't. I checked it. Uh, Of course I don't. But I I got my little Kobo map, which I put on the resources page for this episode. I'm now selling through Kobo in 110 countries. And the map just looks fantastic. I I mean, I'm pretty proud of that. 110 countries from my little study in my house. To me, that's an amazing thing to be able to ship internationally like that. But if you do have Kobo and you do sell on Kobo, even a small way, um, do have a look at the map. It's fascinating to see where you sell all over the world. Um, nearly at the end now for this episode, I've been buying some craft books because I've been listening to other people's podcasts and I've heard them mention books and because I was listening to Jay Thorne talking about head hopping and all of these things, I went through my books and thought, you know, in 2020, I need to be paying some attention to craft. So I've bought a couple of books, um, a book called Point of View by Sandra Gerth, 
and it's about using different point of view types, avoiding head hopping and choosing the best point of view for your book. It's the head hopping bit I'm most interested in. And then a book that I probably should have bought ages ago. It's The Elements of Style by William Strunk Jr. This is one of these classic books I think everybody should have on their shelf. I didn't have it on my shelf, so I've now bought it, The Elements of Style. And I've put a couple of pictures of that on the resources page for this week's podcast. And I hope to be paying some attention to craft, um, you know, in 2020, because craft is nothing, something that never goes away. We could always be getting better at our craft. And having sort of read Julie's notes on Truth Be Told, I'm, I'm always very, very aware when I get an edit back that I need to just keep throwing myself back into this and looking at things like head hopping and looking at point of view and looking at info dumps and just keeping these top of mind and trying to get better at it. It's a continual process of improvement. Just a couple of shout outs, uh, people who, who dropped me a message. Um, Pip Reed has uh, sent me an email. Pip says, hi, Paul, a wonderful surprise to wake up on Saturday morning and see a Paul's podcast diary in my podcast feast and a two hour show, no less. Yeah, I'm sorry to spoil your Saturday for you, Pip. Um, awesome, she says. Uh, enjoyed hearing good news. Hope you continue the podcast in 2020. You'll know about that by the end of today's episode. Now, Pip's got some great information here. Pip's keeping her eye on the German market. I know a lot of people are doing this at the moment. Pip says, last year we published 35 print activity books on Amazon. By the way, uh, Pip is just doing brilliantly at the moment. And I'm I'm almost getting as many, if not more, new release notifications from Pip than I am from Michael Andelay. And that shows you how busy she is at the moment. Okay, She's got a really good little publishing house going there. Uh, very well worth looking at Pip's model. Um, but she's into sort of non-fiction. She's into something, into something different than we are, but she's got a brilliant model, uh, doing very, very well. So um, Pip's looking at Germany. So 35 print activity books on Amazon. Of those, only one of those books was in German, but it's making up 8% of Pip's sales. The US market is 88%. So 8% of sales from, from German, from one book. Now, um, Pip thinks that that's a combination of being of having first mover advantage in a new market. That's because no one is creating German activity books for kids in their niche. But also, they've got the support of a German blogger who's well-known within their niche. So in 2020, Pip is planning to publish more books in German, and she's going to let me know how it goes. And of course, we know that Joanna Penn and Mark Dawson are also moving into the German market too. So fascinating. I'm hearing a lot about Germany at the moment. Uh, Congratulations on those early results, Pip. I mean, you know, the world is your oyster with your niche. Um, Pip produces religious activity books. Um, they're beautifully, beautifully uh, presented and illustrated. And I don't think anybody's doing anything like it, Pip. And, and, and you're just having amazing success with that all over the world. So fascinating to hear about that. Um, so many thanks, uh, Pip, for that. And thanks for clarifying uh, the name situation. So Pip, Pip Reader is, Pip Reader is when I refer to you online. So Pip has also sent me a picture of snowy Canada. Now, Pip, you know how much I like foreign travel, but I don't do snow. But my wife was saying to me about going to Iceland, and and I don't mind going to Iceland, but I said, when we go to Iceland, we go in whatever is the hottest month of the year in Iceland, which will still be cold, but it won't be as cold as it will be in the coldest months. And Pip sent me a picture of her view from Canada. And I'm sorry, Pip, you know, I'd love to go to Canada, but not when it looks like that. All right, grey skies and snow. I get that in the UK, but uh, I hope you're not sort of frozen in. It does look extremely cold there. I hope you're keeping warm, and thank you very much for keeping in touch. And do let me know how you're 
plans for uh, Germany go during 2020 because those are really great results and I'm very interested to hear about that. Okay, that is it for this podcast diary update. I'll have another one for you very shortly. Hello and welcome to Paul's podcast diary update number six for the week ending Saturday the 4th of January 2020. Coming up today, Truth Be Told is edited, checked, uploaded and ready to release on Monday the 6th of January. I've begun planning my first book for 2020. Final editing has begun on Friends Who Lie. And in case you thought it was getting a little bit quiet round here, I just released another book. Okay, welcome to the new year, uh, 2020. It, it feels like a kind of good new year, 2020, doesn't it? I like the feel of 2020. It's a nice round number. It works for me for all sorts of reasons. And I was lucky enough to be being born in 1965. So whenever I have birthday anniversaries they always fall on a five and a zero and for somebody a little bit OCD like me it really works very nicely for me so 2020 feels like a really neat significant year for me so the work has been going on I've got quite a lot to tell you about from this week bearing in mind we're supposed to have been on holiday over the past couple of weeks first thing is I've just completed my final edit of truth be told now um, if you recall uh, Julie Cordner had sent that to me just before Christmas because my mum was up and I was going down to see my mum and bring her up here, there was no way I was going to get to that um, over, over Christmas. So um, with Christmas sort of behind us and my mum back home now, uh, I set about that. I mentioned that to you last week. I started it and I've now worked through it. And um, it was a lovely uh, edit from Julie. Uh, you know, basically when I go through an edit, I'm, I'm really not massively um, fussy about an edit. In that when I when I read a book that's edited, I don't look at all the massive changes. My basic premise is, can I can I tell it's my voice? Um, is there anything in the story that I read and think, well, that that's not right, or I wouldn't have said it that way, or I wouldn't say it like that, or is there any component missing? So that's essentially what I'm looking for. And, and frankly. If I don't spot anything like that, well, I'm happy with the edit. You know, I'm not there to pick over the coals and question every single thing that's been done. So I, I pretty well just look at the suggested changes. I look at the simple markup uh, when I get an edit back and I work through those changes meticulously. And also my wife had read the book and I worked through my wife's suggestions as well. So it was just a case of aligning what my wife had mentioned, which was often the same as what Julie had mentioned, but it pretty well always was the same that Julie had mentioned. So um, it just allows me to make sure I'm catching absolutely everything in any queries um, any sort of uncertainties you have as a reader when you're reading something and you think hang on I didn't quite get that uh, you know I always look at those things and clarify and, and uh, you know just just polish the text so I've worked through all of uh, Julie's comments uh, I'm always relieved when an editor doesn't say well, hang on you've completely missed this or found some great big plot hole uh, touch wood we haven't had that yet um, but I was reading through it because I've had a nice break from it now thinking this is all right it's a nice tight little story this um, I can't believe I, squ I squeezed a trilogy out that initial uh, story concept, but it works very well. So um, I, I finished working now with Julie. She's done a lot of books for me this year. Thank you very much, Julie, for that. I really you know, appreciate the, the time you've put into that. And I also really appreciate you hitting those deadlines like you did, because it was really important to me because things were being released and and. Uh, you know produced so fast and uh, just to let you know at the beginning of the year because now I've stopped overworking Julie Cordner uh, I'm sure she'll probably have some editing slots available through 2020 so if you've got something that's on the horizon it's always best to give editors a couple of months notice of it so that they can schedule you in 
you need to go to Julie's site. Now, uh, Julie's just changed her domain name because she's writing under a pseudonym now. So don't be confused by this. Julie's domain name is julietlawson.com, which is her pseudonym. And to get to her editing page, you need to go to julietlawson.com forward slash editing hyphen services. Now, I've put that link on the show notes for this week. But if you do want to get an editor booked in, I've had an excellent experience with Julie. And blimey, I've really worked hard in 2019. Say hello to Julie and see if she's got any availability for 2020. So Truth Be Told is going to be released on Monday, the 6th of January. And on that date, well, maybe just a little bit after it, but around that date, I'm going to submit Left for Dead to BookBub. That's book one in the Morecambe Bay trilogy. Now, if I get a BookBub, if I'm really lucky and I get a BookBub on Left for Dead, first time of asking, then I will accelerate the box set the Morecambe Bay box set, which was due to be released 28 days after Truth Be Told. So remember, I'm still maintaining this this 28-day rapid release cycle um, until I kind of just decide to stop it or it, it ends because I've run out of books to, to add to the list. So it's getting submitted. Now, I want to get one more thing done before I submit to BookBub, and that is I want to get the paperback versions done. Now, I want to get, I'm going to accelerate the paperback versions on the Walk and Bay trilogy for a couple of reasons. Number one, if I do a BookBub, it always makes sense to have all the products available. So when I do a book bub, I want to have book one, book two, book three available, of course, no point doing it otherwise. Um, I wouldn't do a book bub with book three still on pre-order. I want to have all books available so people can read right through the rack um, and also load them up if they're in um, Amazon Prime reading. Uh, but also, uh, if you recall, I'm, I want to strategically, I want to, I would really like to appear if I can at the Morecambe Crime Festival this year. Now, Looking at the website, it's down at the moment, so I'm wondering whether they've got some funding difficulties, but they have set some dates for that. That is in September. And I did mention to Sarah Hardy, who knows the gentleman who organised that event, I did say, can you put a word in for me with Left for Dead? Because I am really making this kind of pincer movement to see if I could maybe you know, get an author slot at that crime event, because the, the book's perfect for it. I want to have the paperbacks available for that. So I've accelerated that work. And I contacted Elizabeth Mackey, who is the designer who did the Morecambe Bay covers, and said, um, can, can I send over this information to you? She said, yep, send it over. I'll just do it straight away for you, which is great. So I've just got to, I've just literally, while I'm recording this, I've just finished Truth Be Told. Obviously, I've then, I've just got to um, bespoke create the vellum files for the paperback versions. I just I have to just make some tiny and minor tweaks. So I will probably get that off to Elizabeth. Well, you know, it'll all be done by close of play Sunday, uh, probably earlier than that. And then I'll get those proper paperback covers done by Elizabeth, get the paperbacks done. Then I will submit the Morecambe Bay trilogy to see if I can get a book bub on it. And fingers crossed, um, you know, I'd really like to have that in the book bub cycles along with don't tell meg trilogy because don't tell meg trilogy has served me really really well over the past couple of years with those book but promos so uh, busy 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 with that now i i meant to just check the numbers before i came onto the podcast but i have reached a record number of pre-orders on that book and i just wanted to get that number up to date okay so as of recording this podcast diary i've got 164 pre-orders on truth be told now that is a record for me the previous record was two years after that had 118 pre-orders 
and I had 104 pre-orders for Circle of Lies. That was my uh, so 118 was my previous record. Now before I did any of this stuff, before I I you know started this rapid release, my previous record I think I've got this right I'm just checking the numbers now my previous record was 87 87 so if we doubled 87 I'll just do a quick bit of arithmetic no, I think that would be 174 wouldn't it 87 times 2 yeah it'd be 174 so we're 10 off uh, d- doubling my previous record so again although it hasn't set the world on fire I have seen some definite positive changes in these numbers and, and 164 pre-orders of my own Accord, you know, without partnering up, I got uh, many more than that when I partnered up with Adam. Um, I'm really happy with that as a number of pre-orders. It just feels like we're growing, growing all the time. It's painfully slow, but at least things are taking a step in the right direction. The other reason I'm very happy about those pre-orders is that that's clear evidence that people are reading through the book and that stacks it up well nicely for a bookbub it shows me that people are reading through the series which makes it a good series to promote on bookbub because obviously you give book one away for free or i will give book one away for free and then i need people to want to read books two and three and that's where i make my money on a bookbub deal so all the stats are looking very positive for that so far Um, I'll let you know where we get up to. But hopefully by the time I speak to you next week, hopefully I'll have those paperbacks released and I might even have the book bub in by that date. So um, as if that wasn't enough, book two in my military sci-fi series was released on Tuesday the 31st of December. That's book two in my military sci-fi series that I have co-written with uh, John and James Evans. And book three, Devastation, is released on the 31st of January. Now, hopefully you've already heard my interview with John Evans where we're talking about the collaboration process. And I think probably if you listen to that, we're both minded to write another three books and indeed as I've been writing or reading the notes that John and James are making at the end of the year for my book and we've been chatting about it and I've actually started to read the paperback version of book one which is Incursion. I have to say I'm really excited about writing in this universe again. I'm I'm not too far into Incursion at the moment. I bought the paperback and I've just started reading it over the last day or so. And I'm going through it um, with a ruler and a biro so I can remember all the bits that I need to remember about the space craft and what kind of craft it was and and the figures of speech that characters use. Because it was a year ago that I started writing this now. And um, so I'm doing that with a view to starting to plan the next trilogy. But as as you'll have heard, if you listen to John's interview, you know, really, I think we're all minded to have another go at it, to write another three. And really the only reason that it wouldn't be worth anybody's while is if the series just didn't make any money. But as I said to John, I'm making more money on The Secret Bunker than I have since I wrote it in 2014. And that's really because I'm, I've am i just learned and accessed different marketing strategies. So it doesn't particularly bother me if it doesn't uh, roar to the top of the chart straight away. Uh, to me, a much better strategy for a book or for all your books is to have an evergreen process where they all constantly earn all the time, not necessarily charting at the top of the charts all the time, but they're constantly bringing an income in. That feels to me to be a more sustainable way of doing it. So, um, you know, I've got to tell you, I'm really excited. I'm ever so uh, pleased with the book. Um, I don't think I said this, to, you know, I don't think I've said this to you, but I do feel really quite um, proud of the books that I've written this year. Obviously, I've been working very closely with the Morecambe Bay trilogy, and I just feel like I've got a um, really good set of characters there, really good location, very strong location. 
And I just feel like I could almost set straight to it and write another trilogy uh, with Morgan Bay again. Um, I love the characters, um, a lovely ensemble cast. Charlotte is the, well, Charlotte and Will really are the main protagonists, but we, we usually hear Charlotte's voice. You could quite comfortably hear Will's voice in an adventure. I brought a couple of cameo appearances in from Don't Tell Meg as well, so I've crossed my universes as well. And I just feel that I could write another trilogy just like that with that book. You know, I've already got ideas coming into my head for that. So I do intend to write another Walker Bay trilogy. And again, in terms of the reviews and the read-through, it just seems to be one of those books that seems to have hit its mark fairly early on. But also, as I'm reading Incursion, I'm just thinking, you know, I'm really pleased with this book. I mean, you know, I wrote it so that it was non-stop action. There was no messing around. And with John's and, and James's um, sort of modifications, that they, they really, it's a, it's a, they've done it, su it's subtle. It's very subtle in that my story, my voice hasn't gone. But already I'm seeing turns of phrases and references, say, to weaponry or military terminology and I'm thinking well I'm pretty sure I didn't put that word in because I wouldn't know it. it's not really in my day-to-day -day kind of vocabulary on my radar and I'm thinking this is so much better this is a really beautifully enhanced text the way they've gone through this so I'm seeing instantly from the writing point of view uh, real value to what they've added to this already and I, I can't wait to rattle through that book because um, it is an exciting kind of sci-fi adventure so very so we're very pleased with that. But also, um, Now You See Her, I think, also was just a very simple book. I've, I think I've written um, seven books this year that are uncontroversial. Um, now You See Her was, was the seventh one, the two trilogies and Now You See Her, in that people just seem to like it. It seems to get high, highly rated. Uh, people read it, like it, want more of it. Uh, just books that, that hit the right mark. And, and I also think that um, I did a better job of writing those books. Now, the Walk and Bay trilogy, um, obviously, I was under a lot of time pressure with that. And I have Julie Corden as edit to thank for mopping up a lot of my, you know, silly um, speed related errors on that book. Um, so thanks again, Julie, for that. Um, but with the military sci-fi, well, again, John and James have been over it and an editor's been over it, but I didn't have to do that. And now you see I, I had Bill Cocos over it, I had Adam, we had an editor over it. And I just, you know, really feel like we've put out some good books there, you know, between us. And they are, you know, to be fair, actually, and I think what those books all have in common is that they had more people on them. It wasn't just me. They, they, were, a, they were a greater collaborative process than just me and, and an editor. I, I, maybe, that's, you know, maybe that's the learning point from that. I don't know. But anyhow, in, in the year ahead, uh, this year, you'll hear more about this when you listen to my goals for, for the, sort of the quarter ahead, the year ahead, and the five years ahead, which you're going to get later in this broadcast. Um, I, I, this year, do not want... To, I want to earn money from the books. I want to take money out of the business. Um, I don't want to accrue um, in this year, certainly in the first nine months of this year, I want to be making money from books, not spending money on books. So pretty well, with the exception of those three covers for the Morecambe Bay trilogy, that's strategic, of course. I hope it'll sell me more books sooner. Um, with that exception... Uh, my intention is not to spend any more money for the first nine months of this year on covers or edits because I want to take money out of the business. And you'll find out why that is uh, later on when you listen to the, the goal section of this week's uh, podcast. So that means that it would suit me to write in other people's universes. Um, you know, to prioritise that. So I, I really would like to 
to write the next sci-fi trilogy in, in the first kind of six, nine months of this year. Plus, of course, this End of Men book that I keep talking about as well, because um, that one, I won't publish it. It'll just sit there and I'll, I'll use it as a slow, slow job, that one. Anyhow, you'll find out more about all of that when you get to the goal section of this particular broadcast. This is really supposed to be an update on what I'm doing. So I'll stop talking about that. and I'll carry on with the update element. And that is that um, also another benefit of working with John and James this week is that we got an email promotion from Christian Callias. Now, Christian Callias is the very talented artist who did the covers. Uh, now, interestingly, I was going to use Christian Callias as the cover design artist before I even, I think, collaborated with, with, or we even confirmed the collaboration with John and James in that I started writing the books and we were still discussing the collaboration of the contracts. I paid Christian for the covers out of my cash. And then retrospectively, we did it. We agreed to do the collaboration. John and James bought the covers off me and then they paid for them under our contract. So, um, Christian Callius, you know, writes in military sci-fi too. So he's one of the kind of giants in military sci-fi. And we got an email promo from him. And the reason we got the email promo from him is that John and James, you know, have good working relationships with people in that industry that, that I, that I don't. So, that was a big benefit, another big benefit of collaboration this week. Okay, so, um, you know, that's another book out, another book coming out. Busy, busy, busy. Uh, even though it, the appearance may be that the rapid release is over, as you can see, we're far from it because we still have another book to come on the 31st of December, and that's a brand new book. So it's a really exciting way to start the year to have all this new product out. I was listening again to the Six Figure Author podcast, and I, I feel that this this show is almost becoming a, a weekly cross-promo to the Six Figure Author podcast. But they were interviewing Dean Wesley Smith this week, and um, he was talking about something. It reminded me of something that I got from one of his audio books that I listened to. I think it was probably in 2019. And it's It's spelt Heinlein, but I think it's spelt Heinlein, Heinlein's Rules of Writing. And I've put the link on the show notes for this week. But these basic rules of writing are you must write, you must finish what you start, you need to refrain from rewriting except to editorial order. So that means don't keep fiddling with it. It means get on with the writing unless an editor says that needs to change. Get your story on the market. Keep it on the market until it's sold and then start working on something else. And as I was reading those rules, I was just refreshing my memory of them. I thought, well, I, you know, I agree with that. It's basically produce product, get it out, get selling and do it again. Um, if you want to, it's write, publish, repeat, which I, I passionately agree with. You know, just keep keep releasing. Um, but also, interestingly, I was listening to Joanna Penn as well this week. And as well as write, publish, repeat, I think Joanna made a really good point, is that also make sure you're attending to your back catalogue. Don't just keep releasing new stuff. Make sure you're always attending to your back catalogue as well. And that really pertains to what I was saying to you about The Secret Bunker, earning more money at the moment than I ever was when I released it. So I am keeping an eye. I'm not brilliant at it, but I am keeping an eye on my back catalogue as well because my back catalogue can earn. It can give me evergreen earnings, whereas the new... The new releases create that lovely little flurry of sales and that excitement. But ultimately, I think that we need to be taking our money from evergreen sales. To me, that's the, the holy grail of this, really. Anyhow, I, I thought I would share that with you. And I have put those links on this week's show notes for episode 182. And um, I was also listening to the Career Author podcast. And I'm basically, because I've just really discovered or started listening to that podcast, what I usually do is I've, I've just gone through 
the, I think they've got over, well over 100 episodes now. I just went through the episode lists and I've downloaded in the first instance the ones that particularly interest me. And I was listening to one this week about a book bub breakdown and it was a failed book bub promo. So it's the Career Author Podcast and it was episode 27, a book bub breakdown. And uh, Jay Thorne was talking about a loss-making book bub promo that he'd done. And they were discussing the uh, reasons, him and Zach Buchanan were discussing the reasons why that had gone wrong. And it just made me think, well, actually, this is, I'll mention this episode to you. And I will talk to you also about my own kind of rules of thumb for my own book, Bug Promo. So please listen to the episode. Um, It's very interesting. But the, the basic takeaways from it were that Jay Thorne had released the book in the wrong genre and he'd released a book that wasn't in a series. It was also priced at 99 pence or cents. So I just want to use this opportunity to reiterate my book bub experiences because I feel like I've done this is about, I feel like I've done this, you know, a few times now. And I've got more news on that for you before the end of this particular update. And I just wanted to reiterate my rules for book bub. Now, clearly other people will tell you other things, but these are the things that have worked for me. So thrillers make more money for me than my sci-fi makes. And sci-fi makes more money for me than horror. So I've got psychological thrillers. They always make the most money. They're always the easiest ones to sell, which is why I tend to write more in in thrillers. Um, They make more than my sci-fi when I listed a sci-fi category. But if you recall, the secret bunker was listed in a horror category. Horror made pretty well the same as sci-fi, but I would go in order of pecking order. I go thrillers, sci-fi, horror. That's, That's my feel with it. I would never... Uh, unless I had a lot of money to play with, I would not submit a standalone book. End of story. I will not submit a standalone. Now, my view of a standalone is if you submitted a standalone for 99 pence or cents, if you were lucky, you'd break even or make your money back. But to a certain extent, what's the point? Um, Now, if you just want to get reads and eyeballs over your book, well, that's absolutely fine, isn't it? But if you want to make money from your books, then I think you've got to submit series or trilogies so I will not and would not submit a 99 pence cents book either as part of a trilogy or on its own I certainly would not submit a standalone and my view is that there's too much friction there and and actually this is something I've learned from everything and when I was doing my accounts I'll talk to you about my accounts later it was quite clear to me I'd spent a lot of money on promos you know with uh, book doggy with e-reader news today robin reads and all the usuals and and normally when I've promoted books through those channels I have normally promoted them as free first in the series free whereas during my rapid release I promoted them at 99 pence and cents and my experience across the board not just with bookbub is that when I promote at 99 pence or cents I shift way fewer books than if I promote free first in series free and make my money on books two and three so that also applies to bookbub I think there's too much friction even with a 99 pence or cent sale I think that it's easier to just sell in series so my personal strategy is to release a trilogy each of those books has a strong cliffhanger ending and the first book is free now I know people have strong feelings about cliffhanger endings but I don't mind because I don't really get any moans about it and it it you know I'm here to make money uh, and um, and it makes money it works really well with cliffhanger endings so that's going to be the strategy that I use but I don't get moans about cliffhanger endings 
Um, and to me, it's a perfectly normal thing to do. If you watch a soap opera, every soap opera episode ends on a cliffhanger ending. And by cliffhanger, it's something that reels you in. It's a reeler in. You know, cliffhanger might not even be the right um, phrase for it, but it's something that reels you in and makes you want to read the next one. What's the point of doing it if 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 it doesn't work like that? So what I do need to say is that this strategy has worked for me six times at the moment. I make my money on books two and three, whether they're thrillers whether they're listed in sci-fi, whether they're listed in horror. And it's worked for me wide or KDP only. In fact, when I listed Don't Tell Meg the first time, it was KDP only. And then when I listed it wide the second time, I made as much money wide, albeit it was more fragmented. It was a lot harder to account for, but it was I made as much money wide uh, the first time I listed wide as I did the second time. The other thing to say related to that is that book bubs fade over time. So I think... You know, apologies if I get the numbers wrong, but ballpark figure, I made about £5,000 on my first two Don't Tell Meg promos, um, the wide and the KDB version. That income's, it's probably fair to say that income's falling now to about two to £3,000 when I go to BookBub on that. So it definitely goes down over time, which is why I'm so keen now with with the, the fire having gone from Don't Tell Meg. I'm very keen now to get the Walker Bay trilogy out there because I hope that I can do the same or better with a brand new trilogy and kind of get that income out of it again. So the sci-fi books, again, it's probably fair to say that they make or they have made about 2K to 3K-ish in pounds, um, sometimes a little bit less than that, um, not not as much and certainly not as much in horror, but you know, certainly you have good months with them. But anyhow, just to reiterate, I mean, those are my personal experiences with bookbubs, and I'm I'm kind of sticking to that until I got evidence to prove um, otherwise. I think it will be very interesting if I get a second trilogy out with the Walker Bay trilogy, um, because each trilogy will be standalone, even though they will be self they'll be part of a series, but the trilogies will be self-contained, and so um, that will be my first attempt at writing a series when that when I get to that. Um, hopefully, by the end of this year, we'll have to see how the year goes. Um, but I just thought I'd share the episode with you. It's the Career Author Podcast, episode 27. I've put the link on this week's show notes. Also, by the way, I was listening to Zach and Jay Thorne discuss a book called Atomic Habits by James Clear, which is particularly pertinent at this time of year when everybody's looking at New Year's resolutions and goals for the year ahead. And um, I when I was listening to it, I was thinking, oh, that sounds like an interesting book. If I got that and I checked my Audible downloads and I actually had it on Audible. I haven't listened to it yet. So I've got loads of books on Audible where I used to I used to get memberships as a hundred pounds, the hundred pound membership. And just basically every time I heard a book, I just download it and, and come back to it. The problem is I listen to so many podcasts now. I struggle to listen to my books on Audible because I don't really drive anywhere. So I'm pretty well listening to things all the time I can, but podcasts keep me going rather than Audible these days. So I have got a lot of good stuff on Audible that I haven't listened to. But the basic concept of that book is that if you make tiny 1% gains in performance and output, they compound over time. So rather than make big, broad resolutions and goals so you know for instance you might say i want to lose weight in 2020 if you just stop eating one packet of crisps a day for instance that tiny gain will compound over time so um you know it's it's an interesting concept there's a whole book audio book uh, in there but uh, again i've started listening to it that night 
and I'm really enjoying it. It's called Atomic Habits by James Clear. If you want to get more done, you want to be more productive, it's just a really good approach to it. I wanted to mention also that I'm getting an awful lot of value at the moment, um, as I, I always have done, to be fair. But I'm getting a lot of value from the New Author podcast with Jerry and Lindsay Evanoff. And the episode I'm just going to refer to now is episode 58 from the 29th of December. Um, but why I find this really interesting is that um, you know Jerry's just released his first book. Just I think he's just released his second book, actually. Um, and Lindsay hasn't released her first book yet. And I'm finding it fascinating. You know, as somebody who's got 20 whatever it is books out, I'm hearing Jerry and Lindsay in the really kind of early days of of starting an author career. And clearly I've I've travelled that path now. But a lot of the preoccupations, a lot of the things they're talking about are things, if you want, that I've forgotten about and that I shouldn't have forgotten about. So while they're talking about the brand new websites that they've had made and some of the things that they're doing to set up their emailing lists and things like that it's it's bringing me back to all the time to basics and making me thinking well I haven't looked at that for some time you know Jerry was talking about setting up email automation so I've set up my email automations but I haven't reviewed them for ages and that you know to be honest with you they're probably out of date now and so as I'm listening to the podcast I'm constantly thinking it's just constantly making me think yeah I, I ought to do that I need to check that yes that's important so I'm finding I'm getting tremendous value from it but there was a sequence uh, this week where Lindsay was talking about having boosted a Facebook post and she'd had in this Facebook post 12 horrible responses from men all of them from men and you may recall me saying and I sort of hesitate to say anything that's ever gender based but you know because I know it's not all the time I know it's not all the time so I'm just what I'm reporting is an observation of a trend I know it's not all men who would do this um, so that's why I hesitate to report it but uh, I was just interested to hear Lindsay mentioned that she'd done, you know, just a simple, simple Facebook post and that exclusively it was men who had given horrible responses. And one man had just been just awful on what was effectively just a harmless post. You know, it was nothing offensive about it. It wasn't like we were talking politics or religion or anything like that. And also the other interesting thing about it is that Lindsay had actually targeted it to a special group of people. So it was a romance book. And the, I think, you know, people who watched Hallmark films and, and, and things like that. So she targeted it properly. So these guys shouldn't have even seen it if they hadn't sort of got an interest in those areas um but it, i just thought that's really interesting because why i said to you that i am almost exclusively um targeting my facebook adverts to men now and this is based on experience sorry to women i beg your pardon and this is almost exclusively based on my personal experience that when i target to men only or to women and men it is almost exclusively men who put the trolley negative comments on it you know just try and kill it dead with a, a negative comment whereas my observation is and my experience is uh, and you know i've spent th three thousand pounds on facebook ads over the last couple of months it must be something like that it's certainly two to three thousand pounds on facebook ads over the last couple of months exclusively i think i had one mildly negative from a woman not not really i don't know what it was it wasn't negative it was just not positive that's probably the easiest way to say it. certainly it wasn't trolley and then Across the board, the, my experience with marketing to women is that women either say, I must read this, I must put this in my reading pile, 
um, or they share it. They do it. Women seem to do this a lot on social media. They share it with a friend. They copy a friend in. They at mention a friend because they think a friend will be interested in it. Or they say, "I'm reading this," or "I've you know I'm, I'm enjoying it," or "I've read it and I've enjoyed it." But I haven't had any trolling comments at all from women while I've been advertising to women. So um, you know, I I offer that as an observation only, and it was very interesting to hear Lindsay talking about that. So again, episode one hundred. Sorry, it's not one hundred. It's episode fifty-eight of the New Author Podcast. But again. Um, they were talking about the basics of MailerLite. That really got my kind of brain going, thinking, yeah, I need to come back to MailerLite. I need to come back and get these basics right. Um, it's fabulous to hear Jerry getting page reads now. Um, I know Jerry and I have discussed this. Jerry had gone wide with his first book. He's now put it Amazon exclusive and he's getting page reads. And, he, and that, you know, obviously that's really, really exciting. So that's fabulous to hear. Um, they were talking about Tammy Lebrecht's book, Newsletter Ninja, which I've got to read. It's on my tuber read pile, but I haven't read it yet. They were taking out some key points from that. So, you know, just a lot of really good stuff. And it's brought a really interesting dynamic to that podcast in that uh, Jerry and, and, and Lindsay are very clearly, uh, you know, comfortable talking with each other. Um, it's not kind of cliquey in any way, which, you know, it, it's always a risk with a brother and sister that it's cliquey, but it's not like that at all. Um, it, it's supportive and it, it just, the dynamic works beautifully on the podcast. Um, it, it works really well. But to have Jerry slightly ahead of Lindsay, it just works extremely well, that, that dynamic. I, I used to love Jerry's podcast when he was on his own, but I am finding this new kind of twist, this new format is working very well for me. So, Again, you know, <laughs> another podcast that I'm recommending that you take out for a spin. I did a, a post on social media this week, which was three years of word counts recorded in calendars. I got my new word count calendar, which you can hear to my side here. No words written just yet. Uh, not yet. Give me a chance. But I, I will be very soon. And um, I thought, oh, I've got all the old calendars in my drawer at the side here. So I did a photograph of the three calendars from previous years. And I uh, got the new calendar and basically made the comment that there you go, it's three years of word counts. And it made me tot up my word count for 2019. And so my word count was 507,690 words in 2019. So over half a million. Now, I, I commented on social media, you know, in social media, sorry, in um, self-publishing circles, that's pretty paltry, isn't it? It's not a very high figure. I've been listening to Sean, and I've forgotten his surname, Sean, you know, from the self-publishing guys, Sean, Johnny and Dave, forgotten his surname, sorry, Sean. Um, but I think he's done a million, over a million this year. So, you know, I, I, I don't think I would do more than half a million. I think that that was quite a comfortable number for me. Uh, writing wise that was a comfortable number for me but I think you know probably in 2020 it'll be less than that but I just thought it would be interesting for you to hear you know over those eight books that's what I did for half a million words um, I just also wanted to let you know um, I got a check or a online payment from Amazon affiliates this week and this is very interesting for me because I've been using genius links these are these uh, geolocated web links and I, I put all my price buttons on in my kind of um, websites now go to genius link and in genius link you can add your affiliate amazon affiliate information and it's just interesting to me that it's funny i've tried to get amazon affiliates going for a long time even as an internet marketer i never made anything that excited me as an amazon affiliate but actually i i've started to get checks now from uh, from amazon affiliates they're not big checks they're just another bit of extra income 
that I didn't have to work for. And they're coming through Genius Links. And Genius Links uh, sent me a note the other day to say, you're getting a lot of clicks in Germany at the moment. So you should register as an Amazon affiliate in Germany. I did that this week as per their suggestion, because they basically sent me a note saying you're leaving money on the table. You could be earning an affiliate income through Amazon, um, we, we know, with the German click. So uh, two recommendations there. Number one, you know, set up as an Amazon affiliate. Use those affiliate links where the terms and conditions allow you to um, on your websites and web outlets. And also um, Genius Link, um, I, I'm finding very effective for driving and tracking traffic as well. So um, kind of, I guess there's three tips in there. But um, I think the main point of note is that I'm now generating Amazon affiliate income from book sales, which is just another income source that isn't directly related to books. And, and I would urge you always to look for those extra pockets of profit if you can find them. Also this year, um, you'll have heard Joanna Penn talk a lot about AI. And I dropped Joanna a note in Twitter this week because I I'd been listening to her audio sample where she she'd uploaded some of her audio and got an AI of her voice and and the the similarity to her voice was uncanny but it still sounded robotic unfortunately and Joanna made the point that you know it was um I think it was formal non-fiction audio that she'd uploaded to it and it just made me think at the time well hang on I got 4 years of these diaries and that's me talking completely naturally with the ums the ahs the pauses the the accentuation of words you know it's completely natural speech rhythms in these diaries and it's not me being posh with me presenter voice on or reading scripts it's me busking it and talking to you as i'd talk to you if we were sitting down in the pub or having a coffee together um so to me that's great ai learning material and i just thought well i'd really like to try this with my podcast diaries I'd like to upload a load of audio uh, because it, it's obviously got the voice right, but would it get the intonation right? You know, would it get the, the patterns of speech right? And if it did, then with my nonfiction plans this year, I would really like to experiment with uh, getting my AI voice to release my nonfiction books. I'm very interested in this. So I reached out to Joanna and said, how did you get on? How did you access that? Because I couldn't find it on the site. And uh, Joanna let me know that it was it's descript.com. And they've got a what they call a voice double beta test going on at the moment. So I've dropped them a line and said, can I take part in the voice double beta? I've got over 100 hours. It must be 200, 300 maybe hours of natural voice audio. And I'm really hoping they let me take part in the, the voice double beta. And if they do, I'll let you know how it goes, obviously, in these podcast diaries. But my, I, I'd love to do it. And I would like to put out my first nonfiction audio book using my AI voice. How cool would that be? I did my 50th park run on New Year's Day. So uh, New Year's Day, I did two park runs. I did one in Carlisle, one in Penrith. I even got my wife to join me at the Penrith one. If you look at my Twitter account, you'll see photographs of that. But they, they do what's called the uh, New Year's Park Run Double. And they time them so that I could do the, the Carlisle one at 9 o'clock. And then I could drive down safely to Penrith and do the Penrith one at 10.30. So I did that. And actually, my 50th park run um, was the second one at Penrith. And... I just want to mention this because if you recall last year, I set park run targets and said that I wanted to get 50 park runs done by the time I'm 55 in March 2020. Well, I just wanted to let you know that I've hit that target now, which means I get this lovely red T-shirt with a 50 on it. Um, so that's the first achievement level unlocked as far as that's concerned. 
Um, but I'm, I'm way ahead of it. I'm, I'm three months ahead of the original target. I think we'll probably hit about 60 uh, by March. But uh, I just wanted to report that to you as another objective achieved. And my next target will probably be hit on February the 8th, which will be when I get my 25 volunteer sessions in. Now, this has been slowed down by the fact that um, I would have got it by the end of January, but certain things get in the way. So, for instance, I think in the second week of January, we have what's called a volunteer takeover when a running club takes over all the roles. So I can't volunteer that day. So there's nothing I can do about that. And then um, our park run is is cancelled in, in a couple of weeks time, too, because I think they're they're putting asphalt on the car parking area something like that and so I, obviously I can't volunteer that day so um, my volunteer numbers are inhibited by the number of uh, park runs that are available to me but I should hit that second target and get my 25 volunteer t-shirt I should do that on February the 8th unless anything else is cancelled maybe for weather or anything like that I wanted to talk to you about two years after too because I'm, I'm intending to review two years after in the early part of the year. But I just had a look at the reviews that I got uh, and my confidence had been not with this because I had an early, I think it was a one star. It was either the one star or the two star. I'd had an early knock of confidence with it. So I just wanted to report this and give it some context. So I've now got on two years after uh, five five star reviews, one two star and one one star. And it was the one star, I'm sure it was the one star that knocked my confidence. And I just wanted to give you some context to this. Now, the I am going to review this book as part of my blog tour plans and I will look at the I look very carefully at the reviews that I've got but I just wanted to run you through this today as much really as to give some context to reviews to say you know you can please some of the people is it some of the time and all of the people none of the time because this is a really good example of this so I just want to go through some of the, these reviews and just show you you know how much range there is so here's a five star review um this book had me sucked in from the beginning i kept thinking this chick is going to get it together i just recently discovered this author and enjoy his storytelling enormously on to the next one so great five star review somebody loves the book and then we go to the one star review and then the headline for this is no relief now before i read this review to you I just want to tell you what the tagline is right at the head of the book. It's two years after an unsettling psychological thriller with a chilling twist. Just bear that in mind while I read this review to you. Disturbing story. Unsettling. Remember the word unsettling, anybody? Disturbing story with a horrible twist ending. Right? Remember, remember the phrase at the top? A chilling twist. So many questions. Why didn't the main character's father move in with her to share expenses and lessen the financial burdens for both of them? Why not show the police the images and threats she's been getting? Why ask the demon teenager to babysit her precious child? How could her place of business hire such a cartoonish figure to run the company? I cannot recommend this book at all. So that's the one star that knocked my confidence. Then we go to another five star review. Uh, it's really all there in this book's tagline. Okay, so somebody's read the tagline. And um, I really like this thriller. Even though I knew there was a twist ending, I didn't see this particular one coming. One of the books I've read this year that stand out for me. Uh, then another five-star one. Uh, Two Years of Hell is the headline. Finally, a book with a realistic, if macabre, ending. No happily ever after this time. A psychological thriller that will keep you awake far into the night. So that's a five-star. Another five star with the headline, superb. What a cracking book. Read it in two sittings. Love the end. A shocking storyline. And yes, very unsettling. Highly recommend. And then another five star. Get the tissues ready. Love this book. And then uh, finally, an anonymous one. Two star. Uh, hateful ending. This story seemed to run out. This story seemed to run out of steam. And I thought the sad ending was a real cop out. Disappointing read. So 
I'm trying to work out whether I review, I regard this story as a chalk and cheese, but I do say it's an unsettling psychological thriller because it is with a chilling twist because that's what it has. And as an intermediate response to that feedback at the end of the blurb, I've now put uh, a little warning that says, um, you know, this book doesn't have a happy ending, just in case you're a cosy mystery writer. Um, because I think all my other thrillers probably up to date. Uh, Don't tell Meg's, you know, got a bit of a graphic sex scene in it. I think too, too, it's not graphic. It's just, it's probably more than a cosy thriller person would like. None, none of it's offensive, I don't think. It's no more than you get in a 15. It's really not 18 stuff, any of my books. Um, not even this one. This isn't 18 stuff either. It's just very unsettling and, and, and not what you'd expect. But I even explain why I did it in the author notes too. But I have put a little note at the bottom just to see how that does. Um, but I, I really don't know what to make of that feedback, you know, because those five star reviews are like hell yeah reviews when somebody says yeah you know I really like this and they like it for all the reasons that the other people don't like it so I don't know whether to just kind of leave it as it is um that I am actually I am I mean I I actually I think in that one star review there's a couple of things that I am going to consider so I I think um the the bit about the father the shared expenses I could probably make that clearer um I think I do relate I think I do mention it but I I think I can make that clearer I think I have made the why she doesn't respond to the, the threats. I think I have made that clear. I think that is clear in the book. I think I also have made it clear about the demon teenager. But again, a little I might put a little sentence in there just to accentuate that. But the, the one bit that I think that is fair in that feedback is that she describes uh, Edward, the HR man, as cartoonish. And I think that's probably fair criticism, that one. So I am going to look at the character of Edward and just... Um, you know, just attend to that. And it's, it doesn't need a little, it doesn't need a lot. There's a couple of little bits in there that I could just change. Uh, and yeah, I think I'd make it less cartoonish to use her, her, her words. But I think it's just an interesting example of you can please them some of the time, you know, but you can't please them all of the time. Um, so I thought I'd just share that, uh, with you. Uh, and obviously the five star reviews, um, you know, outnumber the, the low star reviews and, I know that when you listen to Johnny, Dave and Sean, they say that you really want to have, you either want to get hell yeahs, you want, obviously you want to get more hell yeahs than you get no's, but you, what you don't want is people being not really caring about your books. You know, you want to elicit some kind of response. What you don't want is people just say, oh, well, whatever, really, you know, whatever. It's a kind of whatever book. So there you go. Um, if you've got any thoughts on that, I'd be very happy to hear them <laughs> before I start to review that book and, and, and make the changes with it. Okay, we're nearly done. One more thing to mention. I just have to celebrate today because my accounts are done and up to date. I can't even remember what I told you about this, but I told you I hadn't touched my accounts um, for ages. Now, all my accounts come in through, what's it called? Whatever software I use for my accounts, it brings the bank feeds in. So they're all they're all in there, but I have to reconcile my accounts. And it's very interesting, but I was listening to Joanna Penn. She was saying how much she enjoys reconciling her accounts. Uh, I don't. So it just shows you how we're all different as authors. I really don't. And I hadn't reconciled reconciled my account it got as way back as may of 2019 and i was just thinking oh i can't face this well as it turned out i put loads of nights by for it over christmas and new year and actually i had it done in no time um it was way easier than i expected so um 
my accounts are up to date. So the next time I'll, I'll need to come to them, I'm going to try and keep on top of them throughout the rest of or the beginning of this year. But of course, I'll have my accounts to submit. I always like to submit them as soon as possible as I can after the tax year and make any payments I need to because I just want to forget about it. I want my tax paid, done, dusted, and then I can move on with it. I'm not one of these people who leaves things to the last minute. So a lot of people will be panicking in the UK because they have to get their online filing done at the end of this month. And those of people who've postponed it are all going to be panicking this month. Well, I don't do that. I, I use as my trigger the 6th of April, so the new tax year, I get my accounts done ASAP and submitted to HMRC. And if I owe any money, I pay it straight away. And then I'm done and dusted. Uh, and that's how I like to do my, my business account. So I'm very pleased with that. They're all out the way. They're all reconciled. I know what my profit and losses and all of that. And I think the one thing I would say to you, and this relates to what I was telling you about BookBub earlier, if there's one thing I probably regret spending as much money on in my rapid release. It's those 99 pence email promos. I, what's worked for me, just to reiterate this, is free promos using e-reader news today, free books and all of those. I have not personally found that the 99p promos give me value for money. They may make me some sales, but they don't do as well as I have found as the free first in series do. I've just found that across the board. Now, other people will tell you other things, but this podcast is about sharing my personal experiences, and that's the kind of experience I've had. Okay, that is it for my update number six. Time to roll on now and get to those quarter one goals. This is my quarter one preview, a look at the first three months of 2020. But before I give you my specific quarter one 2020 goals, I want to put them into context. And to do that, I'm going to need to talk through the plans I made up to my 55th birthday in March of 2020. Also, I want to look ahead to my longer term writing goals. And I need to reveal two big plans that we've got for 2020. And these are all going to give context to what you hear for the first three months of this year. I also need to let you know about the future of this podcast. So I'm going to give you all that information first, and then I will give you my quarter one 2020 goal. So strap yourselves in. There's a lot of objectives about to come your way. And let's start, first of all, by looking at the objectives that I set for my 55th birthday, which is in March of this year. And a lot of these aren't actually writing goals. Some of them are, but they were personal goals. And I find that sort of five year birthday is quite a good chunk of time to aim for. So 55 this year. And then I'm also going to be talking about, roughly speaking, what I'm going to do up to the age of 60. Now, clearly, those are very loose plans. But that's first of all, start by looking at what I said I was going to do by my 55th birthday. And obviously park runs play quite a bit, bit of this. So I said to you that I wanted to get 50 park runs done by March 2020, by my birthday. And the reason that I set 50 as the first goal was because they gamified park run. When you've done your first 50 runs, you get a t-shirt with the number 50 on it. You get one at 100, you get one at 250, and you get one at 500 as well. So I, I wanted to get that 50 park run t-shirt. So that was achieved on the 1st of January. Uh, that's done. Uh, and what I quickly realized is that I was going to hit that pretty early on in 2020. So I've refocused that 
goal now. And I think I'll probably have 60. I reckon I have 60 by the time I get to the end of March. And I'm aiming to have, I kind of set another goal, which was to have 55 by 55. So I'm pretty sure that I'm going to get 55 by 55. um, But I think I might even get 60 by the time we finish this quarter. But either way, it doesn't matter. 50 was the first goal. 55 is the second goal. If I hit 60, that's just very nice. The other thing I wanted to do by March 2020 was to volunteer 25 times for part run. Now, it's interesting. Um, I, I can't say that I've ever really, in any organised way, volunteered in my life. I helped out a bit here, helped out a bit there, you know, but nothing formal in any way. And so to have done 25 volunteer stints, um, you know, is, is quite a, a difference in my life. I'm quite pleased to have done it. I found something that I'm happy to volunteer at and to sustain that volunteering with. And one of my, my longer-term aims with part run is to do it to maintain my fitness as I move from 55 upwards and into, dare I say, old age. I know that's a long way away, but I'm sort of planning planning for the next phase of my life, really, trying to set myself up for, I hope, good health during that time. But also, I think that the great thing about also volunteering with Park Run is that if you, if stroke when, you do start to get a bit old and crotchety and running around a park five times, becomes a bit of a problem then actually you could move into volunteering so you could stay part of that community but you can just put more emphasis on the volunteering and maybe maybe a little bit less emphasis on the running so the other thing about hitting that 25 volunteer stint is you get another t-shirt so so uh, I'm going to get another t-shirt uh, and you get this sort of 25 volunteer t-shirt and obviously I'll have my 50 part run t-shirt so I, I, I wanted to hit those first targets that the park run sets because that seemed a pretty good target to aim for so I'm going to hit that target by the end of March as well I had a weight goal as well and you know that I hit that six months early of course having gone through Christmas and New Year that's moved its way up a little bit and I need to get that back down but I want to end I want to hit 55 years of age at 10 stones and seven pounds so if you see me or hear about me doing lots more runs in the run up to March, you know that I'm struggling to maintain uh, that weight. But but 10.7 is my happy weight, and that's what I'm aiming for by the time I'm 55. Also, I wanted to hit, I think I originally said 10, but I've I've again I've I've moved the numbers because I hit them too early. 15 park run tourism locations. Now, park run tourism is what they call it when you go and do a park run at a venue that isn't your hometown. And I've got a little bit addicted to this in that it works beautifully when you're visiting a place like when I'm visiting my mum I go and do a a park run in her area if you're visiting friends you do a park run in their area and also when my wife and I are going for little trips or doing research trips as we have done in the past year you 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 try and hit a park run while you're there as well and they call it park run tourism but it's it's actually a really nice activity. It's a really great way to visit a place, do a run, stay overnight, book a B&B and have an adventure. So I've really got quite into this. So um, I'm going to hit those 50 park run tourism locations. And I've got two special ones coming up before the end of March. I'm doing one at Bushy Park, which is in London or in the London surrounding area. And Bushy Park is where park run began. And they have about 2000 people running at that run so that's a huge run flying down to meet uh, Phil the chap who I used to work with in internet marketing and it was Phil who recommended to me that I look at part run in the first place so he and I to celebrate the fact 
that you know that I've done so many park runs, we're going to go and do a park run together at Bushy Park, the place where park run started. So I've got that's a nice little tourism event that I've got coming up uh, before March. And also when I'm down for the uh, self-publishing formula event, self-publishing is it self-publishing formula live in London? I'm going to nip across to Paris before I actually attend that event and I'm going to go and do a park run in Paris as well because I haven't done a foreign one yet and I just thought while I'm down there in London it's only 39 quid to nip across um, on Eurostar and I get myself a nice cheap hotel in Paris um, spend well it'll be over 24 hours there but spend overnight there do a park run have an adventure and then come back for the event in London so all of these things uh, uh, are targets for the end of March 2020. Also, I said that I wanted to have 20, 20 books written, didn't I? I said 20 books originally, because I was aiming for the 20 books to 50k. I wanted to hit that magic 20 books. Now, the number of books I've written is always a little bit hit or miss. It's hard to put your finger on, because if you recall, I, I wrote about three three years ago, four years ago now, I wrote seven non-fiction books one on um was it facebook uh, webinars wordpress um linkedin twitter all sorts of kind of geeky subjects and i unpublished those books so you won't see those against my name because they were dated they one by one they got dated and i, I took them off so in many respects i've written more than that but i, I kind of I, I count books that have longevity and that will stay published so so really i have published more than that but let, let's call it um the target was 20 books, 20 fiction books. And I, I exceeded that target. I actually got 23 published by the end of the year. Was that right? Yeah, I got all the sci-fis out. So pretty well, I'll have 23 published by the end of March. But actually, I'm going to have 25 books written because as you'll hear in my plans for this quarter, I'm planning to write another uh, fiction book before the end of March and I'm planning to write a non-fiction book before the end of March. But I'll get to that when I, in detail when we hit my, my quarter one goals. So the target was 20. I'm going to have 23 published, 25 written at that time. And that excludes my old non-fiction books. So those were my targets by the end of March, and my quarter one goals will reflect that. And at this point, I need to give you big plan number one. And the reason that I'm revealing this plan now will give you an indication as to the primary purpose of me just stepping back from the podcast for a little while. And the reason was I, I didn't really want to discuss this on the podcast, but so many things that I was doing were tied into it. So it just felt like a good point at which to to pause the podcast just while I was dithering and making my mind up about this next big plan. I have made my mind up about it now, which is why I'm happy to to tell you what's going on here. So um, I am giving up my my day job, inverted commas, my Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday work. And from March, I'm going to be taking my BBC pension. Now, because I'm 55 then, I hadn't actually realised this, um, I'd always thought that my I, I could draw my pension from 60. Um, but if there were extenuating circumstances, you know, something like you were unable to work because of disability, that they they sometimes moved the rules so that you could take it from 55. But I can't remember when the BBC contacted me, but they basically sent me a letter or an email or something or other, the pensions department, and said, started sending me illustrations for taking my pension at 55. And um, I thought, oh, now then, this is quite interesting because I'd thought I would just carry on till 60 and, and take my pension at 60. 
and I'm clearly I've been monitoring the pension all the time and I, I have a little portal that I can log into uh, from the BBC. So um, basically, and this is what I've been dithering about, this is what I didn't really want to be discussing on the podcast over the last couple of months, is that I am now going to give up my work and I actually handed my notice in. Was it the, I can't remember when it was, it was in November. Now, interestingly, uh, I should have given up work now. So I should be finished now. I was intending to finish, uh, well, I was intending to finish at the end of November, actually. So I must have given it in on the 31st of October, my, my notice. But I um, had intended to be finished, uh, you know, sooner. But because of um, because I'm not I'm not in any hurry and I'm not going anywhere and it doesn't give me a problem until I actually start to draw the pension in March. I've said to my workplace, look, I'm I'm quite happy to hang on for the transition, uh, but I must be gone. I've got to be gone by the end of February. Um, so uh, so I, I've extended the working. So I worked in December when I was supposed to have finished. I'm supposed to have finished when we get, we stopped work for Christmas, but um, they're recruiting somebody new to fill behind me. And I just thought, you know, it feels a bit churlish popping off and saying, there you go, deal with it. When actually, if, if they're going to recruit somebody behind me, I might just as well be there to hand over. So I'm only working three days a week. It really doesn't make any difference. And the other thing was, is that because I'd planned what I was going to do in in from January, from when I was when I was free of those three days work, I'd made my plans around that. And I basically thought it really, with just a couple of changes, it it really doesn't make any difference whether I work those three days or not. So I I said to my my employees, look, if you want me to hang on, and I said this literally, I think on the last day that I was supposed to be leaving, I said, look, if you want me to hang on, I'm happy to hang on. Uh, I'll hang on in January and to a maximum um, of, of February. And then I then I got to go. Uh, but if you want me to hang on, you know that's fine. But I was planning to do something on a Tuesday morning. That's this will interfere with that. So I want to be able to do that. So basically, I'll start work at ten forty five on a Tuesday morning. And actually, uh, the reason for me doing that is that I was planning to do a a run um, on a Tuesday morning. So I, I want to even out my run. So I want to do a Tuesday run. I want to do a Thursday run. And I want to do part run. And I also do a Sunday run at a local nature reserve. So I'm really kind of building this running into my routine. And that was really the only thing that wasn't movable on Mondays, Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Or I didn't want to move. So I said to them, look, this is the deal. I'll come back on these days. You'll owe me a day's leave in January. I'm going to take that day's leave as four times two hour stints, which means I'll roll up in the office at 10.45 on Tuesdays. If you're happy with that, let's go ahead with that. And they were happy with that. And so we've gone ahead with that. So I'm going to be continuing to work Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday. So um, I will be taking my BBC pension from uh, from March. Um, now, clearly that that's very interesting. So I need to tell you a couple of things about that. Um, I was to have finished already. Um, I, at the moment, I'm scheduled to finish at the end of January. That'll be my last working day. But again, you know, if they want to bump it, if they just need me to hang on a bit longer for the transition to whoever takes over after me, I am happy to work through. Basically, um, I, I'm going away in February, which you'll hear about shortly when we do the goals. But basically, uh, it would involve me just working the first week of March, but getting paid for February, and then I'm done. And that actually nicely takes me up to when I'm away for London Book Fair, for Mark Dawson's event, and for doing that part run in, in Paris. So can you see how this is all kind of interlinked and quite complicated, but it does all make sense. Now, a couple of things about taking this pension. This is not retirement. I've got to be really clear about that. This is not retirement. I am not 
retiring. The thought of retiring at my age horrifies me. And, you know, I got to tell you that it is my aim. Uh, th- this is why I- I've written. This is why I always did internet marketing. It was, it's been my aim for a long time to set up something that is uh, transportable, to set up something that I can take abroad, set up something where I don't have customers that come into a shop or anything like that. I don't want any of that. It, my aim always was when I left the BBC to set up something that I can throw in my back and take with me. Now, I'm sure there comes a time in your life when you've had enough, but I can tell you because I did it before I came back and did these three years doing that Monday to Wednesday day job. I can tell you that my number one value is freedom. That, that It's freedom. It's being able to choose. It's being able to choose whether I work this day and don't work that day. It's being able to choose whether we go away to Spain for a month. That's always been an absolute um, delight to me. That's what I've loved since I left the BBC. But it was never and never has been about not stopping working. It's not about stopping working. So this is absolutely not retirement. I want to be really clear about that. This is not me putting on a pair of slippers, reading the paper all day and doing nothing. I intend to carry on at the same pace, but I've constructed my life now in a way that I've got complete freedom over what I do. So I've given up that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday day job. But, and I said to you that it made no difference whether I worked there or not in January and March. The reason for that is, is if you recall, I have these contracts with the same person who's giving me this employment. So I, I got, I, I've, I've even lost, contra- uh, I've lost track of how many contracts I have. Um, because we have different schemes. Now, these schemes are funded for the next two years. Now, they tend to roll on, but the money is preserved for the next two years from the end of March because they're, they're European-funded schemes. So, so you know, they're, they're still in place for that period of time. And I've got contracts on these schemes. So um, I think it's four contracts that I've got. If I one of, one of them is a corporate training contract. One of them is an advisor contract. So, sorry, three of them are advisor contracts but I deal with people at different stages of their business. I deal with business startups. I deal with established businesses. And I also deal with um, businesses that are excluded from the European funding. And they tend to be retail um, sort of farming uh, businesses. So you, you don't need to bother about that. But I, I basically, I got four contracts. And um, be, bef- I used to do a lot of work on these contracts before I took that those three days a week. And, and the conclusion I came to really was I might as well take the three days a week work because I'm, I'm pretty well doing that already. And, and then it, it just creates some predictability about that, that income coming in. So that, that's why I went back to a kind of salaried position. And actually, while I've been in that salaried position, basically, I've, I've continued to do the advisor work, but the advisor work has been absorbed into the salaried position. So no, nothing has really kind of changed. It's all sort of sleight of hand, really. Now I'm taking the pension. I'm going to go back to the contracts. And so in terms of my weekly schedule, and, and again, all, hopefully all of this is sort of joining in a kind of logical progression as you hear it. I said to you that one of my conclusions about rapid release was that I do not want to write all the time, every day. Don't want to do that. So um, this feeds into me taking my pension because there was a time when I might have said, oh yeah, yeah, I take my pension. I'm going to write five days a week or seven days a week and that's all I'm going to do. Well, I don't want to do that. Uh, and, and and if there was anything that, that that rapid release experience gave me, it was, I love the writing. I love the publication. You know, I love, love, love doing the writing and I want that to continue, but I do not want to work in a sweatshop environment. That's just not what I want to be. That's not the kind of writer I want to be. 
So now, you know, uh, if if the if the rapid release had, had fired and all of a sudden everybody was demanding a series from me, of course I'd have done the work. You know, of course I'd have done the five days a week or whatever it took, and I still would. But as a as a model, as an ongoing plan, I don't want to do that. I, I want to write um, at a comfortable speed for me, and uh, you know, and so and that comfortable speed doesn't involve writing every day. So. It was really interesting when I give them my notice. And again, you know, this is why I didn't want to do the podcast because I've been thinking about this stuff all the time since I stopped doing the podcast. I've been thinking through it, planning as I do. And I, I didn't want to discuss this stuff until I knew where I was going with it, which is one of, one of the, the reasons why I paused the podcast. So I had blank planning sheets. Can you imagine what it's like having sort of, you know, blank planning sheets with seven days on? And I started around the fact that I, I want to do a regular exercise routine. So it's not retirement. It's just it's stopping salaried work. That's kind of what I'm doing. Um, so my routine on those blank sheets for 2020 involved doing a run on a Tuesday morning, first thing, doing a run on a Thursday morning, first thing. And I have been doing that already, by the way, uh, quite a lot during the winter doing the park run on a Saturday, and then doing a run on a Sunday. Now, the other thing I found out is I like doing this diary on a Friday. It's a nice way to end the week, this podcast diary. So that's going to inform something else you're going to hear, another one of the big announcements towards the end of this podcast. You've probably got an idea what it is now. Uh, so I do like to do the podcast on a Friday. And my preferred writing days for fiction are Thursdays and Fridays when my wife's at work. I re- I've done this I've done this for nearly four years. You know, my wife goes to work. She leaves the house at quarter to 10. I start writing and my writing is done by the time she gets back at about 2 2.30, depending on what she's doing in town. And I like that routine. And it suits me to be able to do the writing when my wife's out the house, because otherwise I make a cup of tea, we get chatting and the writing doesn't get done. Um, now, the other thing I found out about rapid release is that I really like to, I love doing my part runs on a Saturday, but I, I also like to stay behind and have a chat to people as well. And so what I don't like doing is having to rush off after a part run because I've got to get back and get the writing done as well. So I've decided that on Saturdays, I want to prioritise the part run. And I want to remember my wife's working on those days at the moment. She's just had her contract renewed for that. Um, so I'm just going to use those as kind of lighter days. I'm not going to write on those days, but I will do editing on those days or marketing jobs. I'll do miscellaneous work that isn't sustained. And that's the best way. That's my favorite way to spend a Saturday. And when I've done apartment, it means I don't have to rush back. I can have a chat and go to the cafe if there's somebody there who wants to go for a cup of tea. And it's just a really nice start to a Saturday there. Now, on Sundays, uh, my wife works, but she works 12 to 4. And so what I've been doing over winter, again, I haven't managed to sustain it every weekend yet because I've been so busy writing. But my new plans include, until until I can run in the evenings, my new plans include I go for a run on a Sunday. And that run is a 9.30 till 10 o'clock run. And I come back and my wife hasn't gone to work yet. We have a cup of tea and a bit of toast together. Then she goes to work. And then I've been writing for the four hours while she's away. Now, whilst that Sunday is available as a writing day and works as a writing day, I have decided to designate that a non-fiction writing day. This is in my in my new pattern. So the pattern of the week then is Thursdays and Fridays fiction, Fridays podcast, Saturdays part run, uh, plus light edit, uh, author duties, Sunday a run at the nature reserve. Then I work on non-fiction until my wife's back. And that then takes me to... Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. So the only thing I have on Tuesdays at the moment is to have a run. Now, my wife doesn't work on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays, which means those days are provisionally available for, you know, adventures, um, for fun. But what I am going to do is those days are going to be available for clients, for me to do work under my contracts. 
So when I was planning the shape of, of my kind of new working life, um, I will be available. And, you know, sometimes it ebbs and flows this contract work. But essentially, first call on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays is that contracted work. Because um, basically, I'll tell you what that boils down to. It, it, it boils down to a nice, easy 10 o'clock start. Um, and so I would do, a, I, I generally do people in two hour stints. So it would be, you know, 10 till, it would be a 10 till 12 go and have lunch, uh, come back to see my wife for lunch or go into town and meet for lunch and then do a one till three. That's it. Two, two, two hour blocks of time. That, and and, and uh, that's how those will work. So they're not packed days. They're relaxed days. So my, my plan with that was to do, you know, to, to be available 10 till 12 and um, one till three on a Monday to do that run on a Tuesday, which makes me available 11 till one and uh is it 11 to 1 yeah 11 to 1 and 2 till 4 on a tuesday and then to do the 10 till 12 and the 1 till 3 on a wednesday so they're working days but they're they're kind of lovely relaxed um working days i don't have to get up early i can have breakfast with my wife we can have a yak and a cup of tea we can meet for lunch i can come home for lunch and then i'm finished early too i'm not going till five on any any of those days i'm finishing at three or four And, and so this is what i was saying to you about this is why i've taken my bbc pension in that it gives me choice. So um, on many days, like on my birthday week, I just won't book clients on my birthday week. And we'll go off and we'll have some fun. We don't, won't necessarily go traveling, but we'll just go off and do something more interesting on those days. Not more interesting, just different, you know. And, and this is this has always been my, my number one kind of goal, this kind of freedom goal, this ability. I do not want to stop working. You know, I can't imagine that I would want to stop working well, I can't imagine when I want to stop working. But the lovely thing about the work we do is it's not physical. I'm not digging roads. You know, I'm not lugging bricks or anything like that. That's hard work. That's hard work. And, um, you know, I'm not managing people. I don't have all that stress managing budgets and all that nonsense I used to do. You know, I don't have to do any of that stuff anymore. It's really just work that gives me sort of pleasure and joy. And I can do it as and when I please. I, I've got control over my agenda. And that's what this is entirely what this is about. Not about stopping working. It's about freedom. It's about the freedom to work and play as I want to. So you'll see then that the shape of the week means that actually Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays are given over primarily to the contract work. And that's why I said to my employer, well, you know, if you want to keep me on till January, till February, that's fine. But I do have to stop in March when the pension starts arriving. So, um, you know, that that's why I'm doing that. So I'm quite happy to stay on till the end of February. It doesn't really change anything. It just means I'm doing one kind of work instead of another kind of work. So I, I'm sort of very happy with that. But at the very latest, I will have to stop work. Well, at the moment, uh, the the agreed date is that Wednesday the 29th of January is my final day in the office but um, I can stay if they need me to or want me to until Wednesday the 4th of March that would actually just basically mean that I get February's salary but I got to take a week off to go on an adventure which I'll tell you about shortly in February and then um, I'm pretty well into traveling down to London going to Paris and then doing SPF Live and London Book Fair and all of that. So it times beautifully for all of that stuff. So um, I hope that gives you some context for me pausing the podcast. I, I suspect a lot of you probably thought um, 
you know, it was as a result of, of, of licking my wounds after the, the disappointments of the rapid release strategy. And, and there was an element of it being a good time, you know, because of that, because we'd kind of, we've got through the first 10 weeks. It was quite clear nothing was going to fire in the way that I, that I hoped it would. Um, so it was, it was a good point at which to step back. But actually the primary reason for it was that I just, there's not a lot I've been able to tell you until I knew what the heck was happening after January. And having handed my notice in, I knew everything was going to change. I didn't know what I was going to do for books. I didn't know whether I was going to take my pension, whether I was, you know, going to continue work or find different work or, you know, I just didn't know what was going to happen. And so with all that swirling around, I just wanted to keep my powder dry, keep my mouth shut and just let you know when I've decided. So I know that's complicated, but I hope that kind of gives you some context for for everything. So when we get to those quarter one goals, you now know that I'm looking at, you know, a very flexible week now rather than me being tied down and limited. Now, the other thing that I'm quite interested in doing, because, you know, when I hit 55, of course, my next my next got a big age um what anniversary uh, goal, I guess, is 60, which is a bit frightening, to be honest with you. But so, you know, we're looking at 55 to 60. So I wanted to do some I want to do some planning around that. And again, you know, we're all at different stages in life. And a lot of the decisions that I've said to you that I'm making, you know, particularly about writing every day, I mean, I'm at a different stage in life. I would make different decisions if I was 25. So we all have to kind of make the decisions around our stage of life. But my my um, third child is um, is 18 in this month. So, you know, I've now got um, three, my kids are adults, all of my kids are adults now. Um, and so that, you know, also uh, creates a different life for me. Um, you may be surrounded by tiny children uh, as you're listening to this, in which case the pressures on you and, and, and the requirements in your life are different. Whereas all of my young people, <laughs> you know, it's all happened too fast uh, for my taste, but they're all adults now. Um, and so I got, you know, when I got off my final 18 year old, um, you know, clearly I can make different decisions about my life now. So a lot of these are age dependent. Um, but I want to start setting, well, I'm going to keep doing quarterly goals. I, it's quite handy for me to sort of look from birthday to birthday. So it, it, I wanted to sort of set some goals for a year from March as well. And, and these are just kind of loose goals. Um, but, but again, as I go through them, you'll get a sense of, of why I, I want to have that time period because it works with a tax year. My birthday works quite nicely with a tax year that it's towards the end of March and the new UK tax year starts in April. So it's also quite useful for me to think in terms of tax years, particularly where earnings are concerned. So these informal goals, these are sort of you know, broader goals by the end of March 2021 are that I I want to look at getting my annual book income up to at least $25,000. Now, I think um, I'm going to get confused here. I know I am, but I think we were at I think we've been around there. Um, I can't I can't remember. I know I know it's well above the, you know, traditional author level. And I, I, I hesitate to give you any numbers. But let's just say my next kind of annual book income goal is is $25,000 in any year to year period. Okay, so it's it could be, you know, it could be a February to February, it could be a tax year, any year to year period to hit that 25,000 annual book income goal. So that's my next kind of financial target. And it's just an informal target. But you know, I think you need to if you don't set targets, if you don't keep pushing yourself, you're not going to improve. And I mean, pushing yourself in all ways, you know, pushing yourself to to write the books, pushing yourself 
to improve your income, pushing yourself to improve your advertising, pushing yourself to improve at your writing craft. You need to push, push, push. You need to set targets, I think, all the time. Otherwise, you just um, stagnate. Um, life is too static. So I'm setting that as my, my next annual book income goal. I also want to move into non-fiction books and I want to start recording the audio books. Now, I've told you before, there is no way on earth I am recording my fiction books. That is not happening. <laughs> it's not happening uh, because it's it's a lot of work and it's a completely different voice recording job. So um, recording an audio book for me is like doing this podcast diary with a script. I'll actually have a script so you won't get all the bungles and the ums, the ahs and the pauses and all of that. Um, so it's a bit like doing radio. You know, it'll be delivered in a inverted commas professional way. There won't be the ums, the ahs, the pauses. Um, I won't have a creaking seat. I'll I'll sit on a seat that doesn't creak. You know, it'll be done in a proper recording way. It will be edited as well to remove any of the errors and the pauses. Um, and it will be a professional job. And that's something I'm quite happy to do because when I write nonfiction, it is written in my voice. It's written as I speak. So there's no having, to, as you would with fiction, to do voices, funny voices, you know, to put some inflection in if you're doing female and male voices. You know, I just, I'm not doing that. That is a, you know, that you're more into acting there. And that is not something I have any intention of doing. Um, I never say never, but I'm seriously, I'm not going to do it. Uh, but I am very happy to do my own audio book. So to break this kind of, this, tie these links with when I get a fiction audiobook done because I want to keep the rights I have to pay a fortune to, to pay for the recording job and at the moment I can't really afford to do that or I, don't, I certainly don't want to spend the money on that at the moment not until I have a, a book that's flying off the shelves that, then I would consider getting the audio done and I have had the experience of audio before remember I got the secret bunker one done in audio is when I paid outright for that it was very costly and I'd never got my money back on that um, Possibly could now, but the book's been rewritten since then. So, you know, swings and roundabouts, that's not going to happen. But with non-fiction, I can write the books fast. I can record and sell and edit the audiobooks. And it put it moves me into audiobooks in a way that's that's cost-effective. So it also sort of allows me to build this kind of you know, podcast base, this non-fiction stuff that I do as well. Um, so I'm going to be writing non three non-fiction books over the next um, year, March to March, P possibly more than that, but certainly three. I'm going to aim to get my park-run tourism locations up to 25. So I'm aiming for 15 by the end of March 2020. want to get another 10 park-run tourism locations in by the end of um, 2021. I want to get my park runs up to 75 by the end of March 2021. And by the way, there's a reason those might sound quite tame targets. In the last item on this list, you'll find out why that's that's tamer than it should be. Because normally I'd be saying 200 park runs by that date and probably, I don't know, 30, 30 park run tourism locations would be more realistic. But there's a reason why I can't set those numbers. I also want by end of March 21, 2021, to have so three non-fiction books done, a second Morecambe Bay trilogy that's penciled in, but a second thriller trilogy and a second sci-fi trilogy writing in John and James's universe. Um, again, penciled in. I want to maintain that weight of 10 stone, seven pounds. That to me is a healthy weight. So I would expect, I think I'll fluctuate in between 10 and 11. That's, that's where I'll fluctuate. But I do not want to go over um, 11. And I don't want to go under 10, certainly, because under 10 would not be healthy the other way. So I want to be in between, you know, 10 and 11 
going forward. I want to maintain that kind of weight and 10.7 is my perfect spot. I also want to deliver a literary sci-fi book delivered in draft one form. Now, this is what I'm going to call what I call a chugger. This is not going to have any release date. It doesn't have any kind of target set with it. It is an experience for me. It's something I want to do. It can take as long as it takes. It might not take any time at all, but I want to write this. I'll probably run it by some beta readers on my list. Um, I may get an edit done um, and then I may send it to some agents. That That's kind of what I'm planning to do with that or send it to a competition. But this book has the word traditional question mark written on it. And I just want to write something or try writing something different uh, from what I've been writing. And I just want to try something different with it. But there is no time scale on that. This is purely an experience. It can take as long as it wants. And if it ends up gathering dust in a drawer, that's fine by me. This is just one for personal development, personal pleasure, uh, sort of pushing myself personally. And then this is the important bit. And this is why I said to you that I got to tell you what my long-term plans are before I tell you what my short-term plans are. Because this is big plan number two. I told you that big plan number one was that I am taking my BBC pension from March. Here is big plan number two. I don't think this will come as any surprise to you if you've listened to this podcast for the past four years. But um, I'm sure if you've listened for that long, you will know that I love to travel abroad. You will know that I particularly love to go abroad in the winter. And when I left the BBC, we the first year I left the BBC, which is 10 years ago now, um, we went to stay in Spain for a month because I wanted to go abroad and spend a period of time abroad that was longer than the normal holiday, which is usually seven days, 10 days or 14 days if you're lucky. And what my experience had always been at work was that you were really tired when you got there. So it took you a couple of days to recover from work and, and come around and, you know, get your, your, your energy back. And then... And then if it was a week, you'd be thinking, oh, I'm back to work on, you know, on Monday. But if it was a longer holiday, you'd, you'd still be thinking that it was never long enough. And I wanted to go out to Spain and spend enough time there where you, you got over that initial, you know, oh, you know, I just need to come around and rest. And then you would think, right, how long have I got left? I've got three and a half weeks left, you know, to have that expanse of time in a foreign country. And I've done that as many years as I've been able to. Like, clearly, we have to work around, you know, families have to work around, you know, uh, parental issues. Um, we have to work around kids, schooling, exams. We've had to sort of shuffle it around there. But we've managed to stay a month uh, several times in Spain. And where I haven't managed to do a month, I've managed to do, you know, a, a week and certainly get my fix over over the winter. So I've been saying for years, and my wife and I have been discussing for years, the fact that we would like to go to Spain for winter or over the winter months and then come back to the UK in the summer. So this year, one of our big plans is, and I found out where we're going to stay when I was in Spain, uh, while we we're in Benidorm, we want to live four to six months in Spain over winter. So we are aiming to go to Spain on the 1st of November 2020 and come back on is it the 30th of April 2021 now there are all sorts of things that can mess that up okay so kids being number one where are the kids and we're planning it so that um, you know we've got a place big enough for the kids to come over whenever they want um, you know they can come over for Christmas and all of that sort of thing um, so that's not a problem the kids are used to doing that um, so so obviously we've got to factor the children into that as well. Um, but also 
My wife would need to take a career break. Uh, she's worked in her employment long enough. She, she's got an entitlement to a career break. So she needs to book the career break. The other thing we've got to bear in mind is Brexit. Now I've taken, we'd take probably a gamble on the April, but the we'll, with Brexit, we should be fine until the end of December 2020. And then worst case scenario is that we would have three months as visitors in Spain so we'd have to go back at the end of March 31st. And so I, I'm just dithering at the moment about whether I book the accommodation to the end of March or whether I book it to the end of April. Now, the apartments that we stayed in over Christmas this year um, are the apartments that we're going to go into. And what I discovered, I asked them, do you do discounts for do you do discounts for long stays over winter? And they do it. The apartments were great, uh, you know, beautiful amount of space. And they had great broadband, which is the thing I've had a lot of trouble with in Spain. But they had great broadband here, which didn't stop me working in any way. In fact, you know, my one of my kids was with me and they were gaming on it, saying this is the best broadband we've ever had. So um, I've got the right infrastructure there. It was nice, quiet apartments, you know, just close to town. I'm a, I can run on the beach and things like that. So um, to get the full discounts on those apartments, I got a book by the end of January this year. That, so that's that's why the sort of pressure's on. But I get a very substantial book discount if I book the the apartments by the end of of, of uh, January of this year. So the plan is November the first to April the thirtieth. November the first, twenty twenty to April the thirtieth, twenty twenty one. And um, you know, my wife and I will go out. The kids will visit from universities. But there are many things that could cause problems there. You know, Bre- Brexit is one of them. Um, but I, I think we're still safe. In any scenarios I'm looking at, I think we're still safe to the end of March. Whatever happens with Brexit, we can still stay in Spain for three months, you know, as as, as visitors, as holiday makers. Then we've got to get out by the end of March. So the most I'm risking is at paying for a month in April. Um, but I, I want to put my money where my, my mouth is with Spain. I want to I want to actually live there. And I want to see whether I could live there because, you know, we've, we've been there for holidays, for extended holidays. And there's, but there's a difference, I think, between living in a place and holidaying in a place. And I, I might come back and say, do you know what? I don't want to live in Spain. I'm very happy visiting there for a month in winter, but I don't actually want to spend all winter there. But I might say to you, I love living in Spain, in which case my wife and I, you know, we can flit on six monthly Stints, you know, six months in Spain, six months in the UK, six months in Spain. But the um, I'd always thought that the cheap months would be October to March in Spain, but they're not. The cheap months go from November through to April. So that would be the swing of our year. And, you know, again, notionally, when you're kind of blue sky thinking about what you might want to do in your life, my blue sky thinking has always included maybe, you know, spending the winter in Spain, spending the summer in the UK, where the UK, frankly, is lovely and the temperature is fine and, and all of that. So, that is a big plan. There are many, many things that can get in its way. Um, and obviously the priority is, is for, for my kids, you know, making sure everybody's got what they need. But we are, you know, there's never been a better time to do it in that my wife can take, all the kids are adults now. My wife can take a career break so we can try this without, you know, her risking her job. She doesn't have to give up a job to do it. I'm taking my pension this year. I will just continue to write. I will work out there. This is why this is why I want you to understand that this is not retirement. This is not retirement. I'm not going to stop working. I will continue working out there. Um, and I might, you know, I always set up Don't Tell Meg trilogy. Um, the Don't Tell Meg trilogy ends in Spain, and that was set up precisely for that reason. 
with a view to maybe writing this, continuing the series in Spain and then researching while I'm out there in the winter. So these these are plans that have been around for a long time in my head. Um, but I, 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 if you know, the, the planets have aligned this year, and we can put our money where our mouth is with this wintering in Spain thing. So, you know, unless something stops me. I'm gonna. I want to railroad this and try and make sure it happens. So I can't promise it's going to happen, but I'm going to do everything I can to make it happen. But of course, you know, kids, family are always the priority, and if I have to call it off for that reason, then I will. So, fingers crossed. So you need to know that though, you know, so that you can understand the shape of my year and, and why I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you when we get to the quarter one <laughs> target. So um, that's big plan number two. So the other thing I want to do is, you know, just just to give you some more context with this, really, I'm thinking now of 55 to 60. I'm looking at 55 to 60. And so I, I don't want to sort of be aimless in that time. I know that I want to continue to write. I know that writing, uh, you know, four, three to four fiction books a year is very comfortable for me. So that's another, that would be another 15 books. I also know that I can fairly easily knock out a couple of nonfiction books every year as well, which I'd like to try. Um, and, and also, you know, so I, I need to have some aims with that. I can't just keep releasing books and not have any aims. So, so really, I, I've, I, I wanted to just set some longer term aims to say, well, look, you know, I'm enjoying writing. I love writing. I can do it. I can come up with the ideas. You know, I've got a lot of um, experience in it now. I want to get better. I want to improve what I do. What do I want to what do I want out of this writing life? Well, I've already got it to a certain extent that this writing life gives me a job that I can take abroad. It means I can live in the UK, I can live in Spain, I can do what I want, be where I want. So long as I've got a laptop, I can write. And and, and that was always the intention. I kind of had a false start with internet marketing. That was always the intention with internet marketing. Um, you know, but but actually I you know when you when you immerse yourself in something, this is why I want to go to Spain. When you do something, you think, no, actually, that's not quite right. And and so from internet marketing, I pivoted to writing. And actually, this is right. I love doing this. You know, I can't get enough of this, and I can't imagine stopping it. So I wanted to set some goals. You know, a, a long term direction to to when I'm sixty, because when I'm sixty, that's the next point at which I'd say, okay, where are we now? You know, what are we doing? What's going to change? You know, that's it's a big life kind of target, isn't it? Sixty. Those those decades always are. So I've already told you that in the next year, by end of March 2021, I, I want to try and get my book income up to $25,000. So a lot of these are income goals. So my increments for income goals are $25,000, £25,000, £50,000, £50,000, $100,000, £100,000. So I don't know whether I'll ever reach those. But that's what I'm aspiring to. And those are the increments I'm trying to hit. So £100,000 by the time I'm 60, uh, hopefully before then. Uh, but that's my, those are my kind of income goals at the moment. I uh, Other goals for writing are to get a book published via traditional contract. I mean, why not? Why not try it? Um, I've got 23 books out and I'm going to have 25 books by the time I'm 55. I know I can write books to order now. You know, I've got a lot of confidence with that. I can write sci-fi. I can write nonfiction. I can write thrillers. I can write. I'm not just a one trick pony. I can write more than one book. 
And so I, that gives you a, a certain amount of confidence because when you have never written that first book, if you haven't finished your first book yet, you'll be there as I was with my first book thinking, can I do this? This feels such like, you know, such a huge thing to do. I don't think I'm capable of this. And then when you write the first book, you know that you can write a book. And so if you can write the first book, you learn that you can write the second book and then you can write the third book. And I'm up to 23 now, you know, soon to be 25 you get more confidence as you go that you're going to be able to write. There's another book where that came from. There's another idea where that came from. So I don't feel that books are scarce things, that I have to hold them, uh, you know, like my precious sort of thing, you know, like with the, the ring, Gollum with the ring, keep it close to me. Um, you know, I, I, it's, this is why I did collaborations. Um, I've got more books in me. So if I write a book and the collaboration, it, it sinks without a trace, that's fine. There's another book where that came from. Um, but I want to try stuff. I always want to try stuff. I always want to be pushing stuff, trying new stuff. I always want to do that. That's what excites me. It's what keeps me engaged and interested. So I want to try and get a book published by a traditional contract. And that's why I'll be writing the book that I'm writing in the next quarter, that chugger book that I'm writing. I'll talk to you more about that in detail when we get to my quarter one goals. I would like to think about getting books published in a foreign territory, in a foreign language. And also, my big, big goal is clearly a book bestseller. I'd like to have a book bestseller, that experience at least once. And I would like to get a film, film contract. Now, these this is like, in corporate terms, blue sky thinking. You know, this might be completely pie in the sky. But my view is, is if you don't have, it goes back to this lovely book that I like, Flight Plan by Brian Tracy. You certainly ain't going to hit a goal if you never set a goal, if you never aim in that direction. So these are big five-year goals. You know, if you said to me, what do you want out of writing? Okay, this is what I want. Um, if my if my writing dreams came true, this is what I want. I'd like a film. I'd like a bestseller. I'd like my books in foreign languages. Now, that make, makes take some time. It might never happen. But that's what I'm aiming for in the next five years of my writing career. Those are financial goals, though there's some traditional goals in there and some really sort of big goals. But, you know, I'm sure that we all want that. I'm sure we all want the film deal. We all want the bestseller, you know, and, and if, if, if that takes a traditional contract to do it, that's fine. I'm not snobby about that because, you know, if my if I got a traditional deal now and that book was a bestseller because of that process, all my self-published books are going to sell. Everybody's going to be saying, what else has he written? And they're all going to be buying my self-published books. So I think of all these books as assets. They're evergreen. Um, you know, I was uh, saying to John Evans the other day in our interview, I said to him, you know, I made more from The Secret Bunker in the past year than I did in the year that I wrote it. So just because you wrote a book and it didn't work straight away doesn't mean you can't go back, rewrite it, put a new cover on it, write a new blurb, remarket it. And, and, and then it could become a bestseller. So we're just putting these evergreen assets out into the world. And at any time, any time, one of these can take off. Look at what's happened to Handmaid's Tale. Now, sure, Margaret Atwood got a contract, you know, a traditional contract. And there was the film made in the 80s, which I went to see at the cinema. But look at what's happened to Handmaid's Tale now. Wow, it's, you know, it's huge. It's bigger than it's ever been. Uh, uh, it's absolutely massive now. And, and the the sort of iterations of it almost have more resonance because of what's going on politically in the world at the moment. So, you know, your time can come at any time with a book. And just because something flopped when you released it, maybe you didn't have the experience, you know, maybe you're gathering new skills, you can rewrite a book. It's never over with books. You know, they can earn, you can improve them at any time. So those are some big goals that I just wanted to set 
you know, for, for that's 2025 20, goals. Those are my 2025 goals, March 2025, when I'm 60. Now, you know, they're pretty ambitious goals. I might hit those, I might miss those, but that is my direction of travel. That's where I'm aiming for. That's what I'm hoping to achieve in the long term. And so the final thing I need to tell you before I finally get into my quarter one 2020 goals is about the future of the podcast. This is big announcement number three. And um, so I've already told you why I felt that I needed to pause the podcast. And I, I did feel that from the responses I got from so many of you, and, you know, again, thank you for, for sending those responses, that uh, the timing of it might have felt like it was Paul giving up because he'd had a hard time you know, with the rapid release and it hadn't gone my way. It really just happened that it coincided. I just decided to, um, I'd had this pension news, obviously, and my wife and I were in Newcastle. Was it where we went to see orchestral maneuvers in the dark? And we were having a great time in Newcastle. And I just thought, you know what? I'm going to give this up now. You know, I want to have freedom to do things like this. I don't want to be going into work on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I mean, I can't moan. Those of you who are doing five days a week, I know we'll, you know, would would love to do three days a week. And, um, you know, I, I understand that. And actually three days a week is, is, is neither here nor there. But I just thought, you know, I want, I want my freedom back now. And I've got a mechanism to do it with the pension. So I'm, I am, I am going to do this. So I handed my notice in there and then, uh, wrote an email. Uh, it was the last day of the month. So I had to do it there and then. And I thought, you know, even if I continue working for a bit longer, I want to set out my stall here and say I'm going. So that's why the podcast needed to, to sort of stop for a while. And I wanted to record the diaries. I didn't want to break the diaries. You know, I've been going for so long now. I wanted to still record a, a diary. But I knew that I might need to come back to those and remove bits or edit bits, depending on which way I jumped, whether I took the, the pension or not. So so that's why I kind of wanted to pre-record them. And then, of course, by the time we hit Christmas, I knew what I was doing and I was fine to release those diaries. So there was method in my madness. And apologies that that's disrupted the flow of the podcast. But, you know, there were some pretty strong reasons why I wanted to do that. So let me tell you what's happening with the podcast then. I'm going to commit to episode 200 of this diary. So we're on episode 182 at the moment. So I'm committing to another 18 episodes of this diary. Um, and they will continue from next week on a weekly basis. And they will run to the four-year anniversary of the podcast, which is on May the 9th, 2020. So up to episode 200. Now, from the four-year anniversary, from May the 9th, I am going to renew with you by seasons. I'm going to change the podcast to seasons because that suits the way I'm doing things at the moment. So there's a very good chance, I think, you know, it's, uh, and I won't commit to this yet till we get nearer to May the 9th, but there's a very good chance that I will then renew the podcast from May the 9th, from episode 200, and I will renew it until we go to Spain. Now, this is why you need to know all these things in the order that I've given them to you, because you know clearly, if I go to Spain, uh, I'm going to be slightly more technologically challenged. That we're not moving there. I shall be travelling light. I shall be using a laptop. You know, I have much less kit than I normally do. So, doing a podcast when I'm in Spain might not be might not be quite so simple. It might be easier for me to make it monthly or something like that. I don't know. I don't know because we've got to get some water under the bridge. So, this is why I'm going to seasonal. So roughly speaking, the year is carved up. I can commit till May the 9th, 2020. Then from May, that takes me to you know a lovely anniversary. You know what I'm like with anniversaries and round numbers and things like that. Episode 200. Um, four year anniversary. If, if I, you know, if I stop, that would be a great place to stop, but I, I don't think I will be stopping it. Um, I, 
I can sort of tell you without committing at the moment that I think that we'll probably renew then from May the 9th through to, and where do we go to? When do we, when do we head to Spain? So um, I think I will renew probably till episode 225, which would take you to Saturday the 24th of October. And that is the week before we would go to Spain. So 225 is a nice kind of round number to finish on. And then I would have to look at what we did in Spain. I'm not going to know that before I know whether we are actually going to Spain. And then I, I think through my infrastructure. Now, again, you've heard me mention um, that I did that podcast episode recording from my phone from the beach in Benidorm. And I think I've probably alluded to be trying a couple of cloud-based softwares as well. So very much this year, I need to focus on working in the cloud, being able to work and write on a laptop and record podcasts and edit podcasts on a laptop if that that project to Spain comes off. So seasons work better for me at the moment. You know, so here, here, here's, here's a, a scenario. Uh, we get to episode 200, I renew to 225. For whatever reason, it, it's just not practical for me to do podcasts in Spain. Or when I'm in Spain, it's not practical for me to do these longer podcasts. So maybe I give you a five-minute update that I record on my phone, something like that, you know, on the beach or something like that. So the format changes. So by renewing in seasons, by saying this is season two and in season two, um, it allows me to introduce extra features for a season. That, you know, I might say to you, okay, we're doing another season now, and this season will be 10 weeks. And in these 10 weeks, I'll be doing a special, you know, special interviews with big authors or something like that it just suits me to accommodate the ebb and flow of life to be able to give you clear guidance and to say you know for the next 10 weeks you're getting this for the next 20 weeks you're getting that so that you know where you are um and i and and, and just like you know like a series on netflix you say yeah you've got another season it's going to continue and it's going to continue to this date and that way we all know where we are but it, it takes account of the ebb and flow of this kind of new life that we've got so seasons feels um you know the right way to do it so i'm going to go to episode 200 so i'm committing to you now to do these diaries every week as they have been exactly as they have been no changes between now and episode 200 of the podcast diaries the fourth year anniversary on may the 9th and then i will tell you at around that time you know what's happening next with the podcast and that that season, if I renew for that season, I'll be renewing for at least 25 podcast diaries and they will take you through till, fingers crossed, you know, planning permitting, going to Spain. And I can't commit yet to that because I don't know what's happening after that date. So hopefully that does give you clarity. You know you're good for podcast diaries uninterrupted until the 9th of May. Now, the other reason I wanted to set the 9th of May was that obviously we then hit my 55th birthday and I'll have gone to self-publishing formula live by that stage. So um, what I've pretty well set, and this hopefully does all make is beginning to make sense. I know there's a lot of it. I wanted to just set my goals to kind of March or thereabouts. Then I wanted to set goals between March and when we would go to Spain. And then I, I, I'm thinking of things, you know, from when we're in Spain, what I would do when we're in Spain. So my year is going to be slightly different. The rhythm of my year would be slightly different with that. So with all that done, you've got my three big announcements. Podcast continuing to May the 9th. Drawing my pension from March, the end of March of 2020. Um, and also our plans to go to Spain. Let me now go to my quarter one 2020 goals. And hopefully, knowing all that information now, these will make perfect sense. 
here are my quarter one 2020 goals, January to March, and I've got these written up on my whiteboard. I had them written up well before Christmas when I was confirming my plans in my own mind. And uh, before I released the podcast episodes, because I needed to know what I was telling you and what I was not telling you. And so if you want to take a sneak look at my picture board, my, my planning board, I've taken a photograph of it and put it on the show notes for episode 182. So here's what's coming up then between quarter one of 2020, between January and March of this year. So first of all, I'm going to write a literary, he says in inverted commas, a literary science fiction book. This is a self-indulgent book. It has no deadline. It has no editing date. It has no editor booked in. I'm just going to write the thing. I'm going to get through it. I might even give up halfway through, but I'm going to start this journey and see where it takes me. And this is this, you know, do they call it high concept? Basically, it just means I haven't got laser battles and aliens all over the place. It's a slightly more cerebral kind of science fiction book. And it's called End of Men. And the idea might tank completely or it might work very well. I'm just not sure, but I'm going to write the thing anyway. It might just be rubbish, <laughs> but I'm going to write it anyway. So I, um, I, I'm I, now writing then in my new kind of working regime. I'll be writing on Thursdays and Fridays only, my fiction books. I, I can, you know, if I need to cancel a date, I need to squeeze a date and I can write on, I can write on any day, can't I? But I'm going to be writing this on Thursdays and Fridays. That's my plan at the moment. And the writing schedule takes account of all the things I've got on. We've got a trip abroad coming up, um, all the runs that I'm doing, going to Paris, you know, doing self-publishing, Formula Live, all of those things. So I'm planning to write in between January and March, 80,000 words of End of Men. And we'll start that and we'll just see where we get to. I also plan in this quarter to write a non-fiction book and record the audiobook myself. So I plan, write, and record. Um, and so I don't have you know, the, the whole process with a non-fiction book is completely different from a fiction book. So I'm writing that on Sundays. That's going to be written on Sundays. So I can tell you that I, I plan to start writing End of Men. First writing day is slated as Thursday, the 16th of January. That's slightly later than I was going to start writing, but I had to tweak some things around continuing at work. If I would have started a bit earlier, if I wasn't going back to work in January, but I just had to shuffle things around. So I'm planning all the time up to there. I've given myself loads of planning time for this book, but I start to write on Thursday, the 16th of January and then Friday, the 17th of January. And that will then, I will then sustain that Thursday and Friday writing pattern. And I will try and keep up my 5,000 words a day with that. But this book's going to be much more heavily planned, I think, than anything else that I've written. And then on Sundays, once I've done that little run around the nature reserve, I'll come back. And when my wife goes to work at midday, I will then spend the four hours that she's away working. I will spend that four hours working on nonfiction, writing it, uh, that will get self-edited. I'll get a proofreader on that yeah, because, you know, because nonfiction is completely different. It needs a proofreader. It doesn't need an editor uh, because it's what's in my head. And then uh, I will record the audio book of that. And I'm aiming to get all of that done uh, by the end of March. So two more books to be written by the end of March. In terms of Park Run, um, you know, again, I won't go into great detail with this, but this is about being a healthy author. Uh, that's why I'm sharing it with you. I intend to do Park Runs 49 to 63 in this quarter of the year. So I'm going to exceed my targets. I'm going to hit 50 um, 
well, I'll have hit 50 part runs by the time you listen to this. Uh, but um, I reckon I could get to 63 park runs by the end of March, which exceeds my targets. My first target was 50, my second target was 55, my next target was 60. That exceeds all of those targets. I'm also going to do three park run tourism stints in between now and end of March. I'm going to go to Tyne Green Park Run, which is just up the road from me in Hexham. I'm going to do Bushy Park in London, and I'm going to do a park run in the centre of Paris as well. I also aim to park run volunteer. So I intend to do my volunteer stints 22 to 25. 25 is where I get the t-shirt. And when I've done my 25 volunteer stints, I'm going to change the pattern of the way that I volunteer. Because at the moment, to get those volunteer stints in, I've done what they call early setup. And early setup means I turn up before part run uh, at eight o'clock in the morning. We walk the course, check there's no obstructions. We set up the tapes and the cones and things to mark the course. Sometimes I do the first time as briefing, but I could do that job and still run. And so when I've done the 25 runs, what I'm planning to do is just change my pattern a little bit. I'll still do those early setups, but I want to budget to do what they call a marshalling run. And I want to do some jobs and I won't do them as regularly as, as I have been doing the early setup. Probably once a quarter, maybe I've got to find a, the right kind of time scale to do those. But I'll do jobs, which mean I can't run. Um, those are often the jobs they struggle to fill. Uh, like marshalling or and I want to learn all the jobs in the background as well so I can become a more useful volunteer so when I hit that 25th volunteer stint um, I might miss some part runs to do jobs that actually have to take place within the part run itself but the aim of that is for me to, to learn all the jobs that are involved in running a part run and so eventually I'm a bit nervous about this but I might try the big job and this isn't going to be this year, I don't think. But I could then maybe try something like being a, a run director, which is basically being in charge of a particular part run. Um, you don't do that every week. You do that, you know, maybe once every three months. But I, I kind of want to, because I, I like part run so much, I want to support it through volunteering. So I want to kind of learn the jobs, basically. So I, I understand it from all angles. And then I feel that I could maybe think and consider uh, being a, a part run director, uh, which you do just maybe once every three months. Uh, it just keeps everything going. Um, so that's part running. As far as writing is concerned, um, I, I've got some edits to do this year. So um, I, I'm going to what I'm planning to do. I told you this um, earlier that I want to Sarah Hardy is going to do blog tours on two years after and so many lies. Those are two standalone thrillers that I, I kind of launched. I made some sales on, but I haven't got reviews on. And I want to work those books hard to get some reviews on them. So with that said, I'm going to give them a... I mean, they've been edited, obviously, but I'm going to give them a review and edit, review a light edit, um, take account of any feedback that I have had on them to make them sort of better. And then I'm, they're going to be taken off sale when I'm doing that as well. They'll be withdrawn from sale. And then they're going to go on those blog tours. So... With that in mind, then, first editing the new year is going to be Friends Who Lie. That's the one that Helen Fazal did, uh, uh, and Helen hadn't edited that before. So that will get re-edited. Helen will do it be a last check on it, and that will get re-released. I've got to do a two years after edit. That's a light edit. These are only light edits, remember. I'm not, not changing anything massive, just the odd tweak here and there. And then I need to get that ready for the two years after blog tour at the beginning of March. I then need to uh, do the edit on So Many Lies, and then I have to get that ready for the blog tour with Sarah Hardy. Um, I will then consider, depending on how those blog tours have done, I might then consider uh, 
Friends Who Lie, taking that off sale and saying to Sarah, can I now do a blog tour for Friends Who Lie? So that, that one's in the pending tray at the moment. So I've also got to get uh, Truth Be Told released as well. And I have to get the Morecambe Bay uh, Trilogy box set released. We've got to get the Devastation book released, which is the final book in the sci-fi trilogy. I don't have work to do there, but these are all things that are happening. And we will get the sci-fi trilogy released as well. And if, as soon as the trilogy's out, obviously, um, I need to be putting the Morgan Bay trilogy in for BookBub promos. And John and James will be putting in our sci-fi trilogy for BookBub promos too. So there's a lot there. Also in that writing list are... Um, self-publishing formula live in march i want to get my standalone thrillers wide i've i want to set up my two lead magnets i told you about this in the last diaries i want dead of night to be my thriller lead magnet and listed wide and i want uh, phase six to be my sci-fi lead magnet and, and and that is already listed wide so there's a whole pile there of writing jobs that i want to get done in this quarter. Now, I said to you that notionally my writing, my, my kind of contract days are Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. A lot of those days I won't have clients on. And these are the jobs that get done on those days. These are the jobs that get done on Saturdays after part run. These are the jobs that get done in the evenings. So there is, you know, there's really no change to the pace or the amount of work that I'm doing. And I really, really want to stress this. This is not retirement. The whole point of this is if I say, I want to go off uh, and you'll hear about some breaks that we've got booked in a moment or two. If I say I just want to go off somewhere and do something like Spain, for instance, this is entirely about having freedom. That's entirely what it's about. It is not about slowing down at all. It's not about stopping working. It's entirely about freedom. Um, so I just need to be really, really clear about that because I'm going to be doing as much work as I ever did uh, because uh, I, I like it. It's what keeps me you know, it makes me feel alive work. Two things that make me feel alive, being engaged in great creative work and being abroad, um, usually in the winter. You know, I don't like being too hot, but going abroad from a grey UK to beautiful blue skies and sunshine, those two things fire me. They invigorate me. And that's what I want to spend my time doing. That's what this is all about. So what else? I want to do some learning in this quarter. So number six on that list is I want to review. I've had some small success with Facebook ads, but I want to go back to self-publishing formula. I want to look at their latest advice on Facebook ads. I've also had small success with Amazon ads. I want to go back to Amazon ads and I want to look at what they're saying with their training and I want to review that. And I want to get better at it because I can see I'm making sales from both those outlets, but not enough sales and I want to make more. So I'm going to go back to some training. I go back and review what I'm doing and I've got more time now to, to apply myself to these things. Number seven on my list is a banking review. One of the things I am considering now is, uh, is I need to sort of manage my money. I need to manage my income. And so I think I might now step out of being a sole trader. I'm considering going limited company again, because when you go limited company, you've got more control over how you take the money out of your business. Whereas as a sole trader, you know, you take it as income and it affects tax slightly differently. So at the moment I am reviewing, now I also want it to be on an app, by the way, it all needs to be online so I can manage it online. So I'm, I'm having a banking review at the moment of personal banking and of business banking. And I'm really thinking hard about whether I go limited com uh, company at the end of, um, well, at the beginning of the new tax year. So um, I've just put that as an item, banking review. I'll let you know what I do towards the end of the year with that. Now, there would be no point changing 
my life if I didn't go on some nice trips. And so I've got some trips scheduled already. Uh, we're going to Amsterdam in February. This is why I said to you that this is like plotting out a book. This is that I had to tell you all the dependencies so you understand why I'm making the decisions that I'm making. But we're going to Amsterdam in February. If I worked for my employer during February, that would involve me taking a week off. So if they want me to work in February, the deal will be I'm taking that time off to go to Amsterdam because it's booked. And to make the month up, I work the first week in March. So that, you know, that, that would be the deal. Or, or I would have to leave at the end of January. So uh, me and the family, we've booked into Amsterdam. We're going on a ferry. We're going to see uh, Anne Frank's house. We're going to do all the nice things you do in Amsterdam. We're going to stay there. It's just a short break. Um, the ferries gave us some nice, cheap, uh, you know, offers. It's all being done extremely uh, cheaply, about 50 quid ahead, I think it is. It's not very much at all. Uh, and we, my wife and I went to Amsterdam, but we did it on an overnight ferry trip and we didn't fit enough in and we couldn't get to Anne Frank's house. So we just wanted to go back again and plan it better and make sure we stay overnight this time. So Amsterdam is coming up at the beginning of February. Uh, we're taking two of the kids with us. Then I'm going to Paris for this run. I'm going to go on Eurostar. This is happening in March. And I'm going down to London to do the Bushy Park run as well before the end of March. And of course, I'm going down to London to do self-publishing Formula Live. So I've got plenty on, plenty, plenty on. And we might also squeeze in uh, a couple of park run tourisms in there as well. So um, as I always say to you, you know, it's not all about work. It should never be all about work. Make sure you've got those fun things to look forward to, you know, always scheduled in, always make sure you've got some fun scheduled in. It doesn't have to be going abroad, you know, whatever fun is to you, going for a ride on your bike, you know, going for a walk by the river, whatever it is, but f schedule those fun things in. So uh, number nine on that list, obviously I've got uh, finishing work and taking my pension. As I'm recording this, the confirmation letter for my pension is sitting on my tray awaiting a stamp. So... <laughs> That, you know, that's where we are. It's all filled in. The banking details filled in. The dates filled in. It's about to go off in the post at the time I'm recording this. Not by the time you listen to it, it would have gone. So um, I've told you also that I'm renewing the diary. So Paul's podcast diary is renewed in this quarter. In this quarter, I'll be recording episodes 182. 182 is the one I'm recording right now. And we'll be going to episode 194 by the end of March. But I have actually committed to episodes 200. But we only get to 194 in this quarter of the year. Number 11 on that list is that I want to get um, paperback versions of my thrillers done. Um, I haven't got around to that, been too busy. Um, it's very important. I've always had a uh, policy of having the paperbacks available. Uh, I will prioritise Left for Dead, the Morecambe Bay trilogy, because if I get that in a book bub, I will make sure I've got the paperbacks available. So I will fast track that if I get a book bub. Um, but I want to put proper, and I'll be paying for these, proper covers on the Left for Dead Morgan Bay trilogy because I also this is part of my strategic movement I want to make a pitch to speak at Morecambe and Vice in September which is a crime event in Morecambe and so as part of that pitch I want to send some very nice properly edited you know very carefully checked paperbacks to the organizers of that to say have a read of those if you th you know if you like them uh, I'd love to do a talk um, so I'm going to make quite a strong pitch for that because I'd like to appear at that event with those books. Uh, they're natural bedfellows if you want, but obviously they need to decide they like the books first. So um, paperbacks are my thrillers and the ones I didn't have time to do during rapid release. And then finally on my list of things in this quarter, 
Um, I want to read and I want to improve. So I've already told you that I want to look at Facebook ads and Amazon ads, but also I've I've got some books out to read again and I've bought some new books. Um, and this reflects the feedback that Julie Cordner has given me. You know, I, I, I know my writing you know, we always need work. You're never the perfect writer. Um, but I want to go back to some of the things that Julie was telling me and picking me up on. Same things that Hella Vazal is telling me. Um, so I've got uh, uh, the book Elements of Style, which is a, a classic uh, book. You know, it's one of these books that everybody should read. I haven't read it yet, so I bought it. I'm going to read Elements of Style. Uh, I'm going back to Understanding Show Don't Tell. And I've got a points of view book as well. Um, you know, it looks at head hopping and things like that. So I'm looking at show, don't tell elements of style, some of the basics of writing. And I'm reading a point of view book. And again, in this new regime of having more time, I want to specifically make time for reading fiction and reading nonfiction. In the past, I've been guilty of consuming too much nonfiction at the expense of, of reading fiction and seeing what other people are, are writing and reading other bestsellers. So it'll take me, I think it'll take me a little while. I mean, obviously, I haven't even left work yet. <laughs> you know, I, I've got to stop, I've got to stop to leave work. I, I hoped that from January, I would have a sort of free diary. And I knew that it would take me a little bit of time. This is why I'd said to you that I might not return to the podcast before March. I knew it would take time for me to get into the rhythm of that. But just the way things have worked out now, I have decided to pick up the podcast. I do want to keep the podcast going for, you know, for my own purposes as well. It's the, it's a rhythm in my week to sit down and do the podcast at the end of the week. So um, I do want to pick the podcast up. So, um, you know, I will find that routine and I'll let you know how the routine goes. But it does, you know, I guess it kind of means I'm, I, does that make me a full-time writer? It, it, it kind of makes me a full-time writer, doesn't it? Uh, in, in many respects, but I'll be doing other things. I don't want to be a full-time writer. I want to. I want it to be the main thrust of what I do. Um, you know, because it, because it is. But I don't want writing to be another day job. That I think that's really what I'm saying. It mustn't become another day job for me. Okay. There was a lot of detail in that, and that is a long segment, but you are right up to date now. Hopefully, you understand my thinking behind why I pulled the podcast. Hopefully, with those long and intermediate-term plans, you can see why I'm doing what I'm doing in the next quarter. As ever, this is a big pincer movement. There's always a plan, however sort of haphazard it seems, and however much I sometimes have to pivot those plans, I've always got a point of the distance that I'm aiming for. And having now done rapid release and learned the lessons from that um, and said to you that, you know, if I remember, I am still rapid releasing at the moment, uh, by the way, I, I ought to sort of I ought to make that very clear. I'm still keeping that 28 day cycle. So, you know, to, just to reiterate this on 6th of January, we've got Truth Be Told out. Then we've got the box set out for Walken Bay. And I have scheduled my my blog tours to maintain the monthly release cycle so two years after goes out on the 2nd of march these are all in the 28 day cycle and then friends who lie the edited version will be re-released on the 30th of whatever that is is it march whatever that date that is and then i've got um so many lies that blog tour was that date was set specifically to maintain the monthly releases that goes on the 27th of april and it's only after the 27th of april that i need to give some thought to what i do now i'm going to go back to no more secrets and re-edit that i might re-release that on the 25th so although these are sort of not brand new books they will be new versions and i am still keeping that 
28 day cycle up. So I am still rapid releasing, um, you know, albeit at a slower rate now. And I'm coming back to those books. I did rapid release, but I didn't get the reviews on them. I'm coming back. I went for kind of quantity last time. I'm coming back again and reviewing those books where I need to get the quality sorted. Um, and so if I did continue the pattern, I wouldn't get to Don't Tell Meg re-release. And this is slowly penciled. I don't know whether I'm going to do that yet. The, the Don't Tell Meg re-release would need to be done uh, week 26, halfway through the year uh, on the 22nd of June. And, you know, just to let you know, I've planned, I've actually planned in pencil right up to where we would go to Spain to look at how things will fit in. So, you know, roughly speaking, before we go to Spain, I'm planning to have three non-fiction books written and recorded. I'm planning to have my literary fiction book done. I'm planning, notionally, I will either write uh, three more sci-fi books for John and James, or I will write three more Walker Bay trilogy books. And then when I'm in Spain, I will either write <laughs> three more Walker Bay trilogy books, three Don't Tell Meg follow-on books that take place in Spain, or three thrillers. It, re it really just depends. But I'm looking at it in blocks of time now. But I do have things very much penciled in throughout the kind of next, well, through till March 2021. Um, but obviously, I need some flexibility within that. So there you go. You've got some even longer term plans in there. So it does all make sense to me. <laughs> if you're confused, just take a look at the picture of my planning board. Quarter one, January to March. It's on the show notes for episode 182. OK, that is it. You're bang up to date now. We've covered the weeks that I took a break from the podcast diary. You're bang up to date with the podcast diaries. You're bang up to date with my thinking, with my planning, with my goals. You know exactly where you are. And so from next Saturday... I will continue in the weekly standard format through until episode 200 of the podcast diary. That will take us through until May the 9th, 2020. It's very good to be back. I can't wait to record that next diary and to sort of get back in the flow of releasing every week. I hope you have a great week of writing or editing. I'll speak to you next Saturday. Bye-bye for now. Thanks for listening to Paul's Podcast Diary. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed to hear next week's update and find out how many words get produced over the next seven days. Until then, we hope you have a great week of writing.